Welcome to episode 16 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode, we're going to be taking a look at Superman and the Mole Men, which is, while technically is not the first episode of the Adventures of Superman television series, it was actually released first, as it was released to theaters on November 23rd, 1951, kind of as a an experiment or a pilot, so to speak, for the upcoming planned Adventures of Superman TV series. It introduced us to George Reeves as Clark Kent and Superman and Phyllis Coates as Lois Lane. And to help me talk about this first Superman movie, I have with me a very familiar guest. Back with me again is Bob Fisher. Say hello, Bob. Hey, everybody. Thanks, Mike, for inviting me back. I love this movie. And I realized the other night watching it that I loved it more than I realized. <laughs> well, good. You know, I kind of found that with the serials, too. Mm-hmm. That even though, especially the first one, I kind of laid into it for plot contrivances. Right. They were fun. Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, I, I as I said last time, I had lost mine, and you were mentioning them, and I was listening to your show, and I was going to pull mine back out to watch them and had lost them somehow. So I rebought them and still haven't popped them in yet. I haven't even cracked the seal on the shrink wrap yet, but I plan to hopefully this weekend, if I, if I get a chance, it's supposed to rain here a lot this weekend. So the yard work's going to get canceled. <laughs> Yay. Oh, I hate yard work. Yeah, me too. So I'm uh, hopefully Sunday afternoon, I'm going to, uh, to pop in the cereals and watch Mr. Allen do his Superman for right. Uh, several hours. I'm looking forward to that Sunday. One thing I mentioned at the end of episode 14, which wrapped up the serials, not as of this recording, it hasn't been released yet. What I said was, when I got to the end of it, I realized that even though I was really looking forward to getting to the adventures of Superman, I'm going to miss those guys and their adventures mm-hmm. as I move on. Normally when I watch Superman, when I decide to watch Superman, I'll watch the Superman and the Mole Men in the spot that it is in the series. Right. As in the last two episodes, I'll watch the movie instead of the two episodes, and we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But for the, for the sake of this show, since this was released first, I decided to stick it here. I think it's a perfect place for it. So, Bob, how did you come to this the, for the first time? Did you see it as part of the TV series? or? Yeah, I saw it as part of the TV series. I never, I didn't know it existed as a movie when I was a kid until... I was about, I'm trying to think, I was trying to think of this earlier when when, uh, we talked about doing this, that I'm trying to think when I actually saw the actual movie for the first time. And I live in Richmond, Virginia, and have for a very long time. And there was a movie theater that used to be here. And sometimes on the weekends, on Saturday mornings, particularly Saturday mornings uh, until about 2 or 3, from the morning until about 2 or 3 in the afternoon, 
they would show uh, old Saturday morning serials from the 40s and 50s for kids. And my parents sometimes would just drop me off there and that would be, you know, how they could get rid of me for a Saturday morning would be drop him off at the movie. He'll watch, you know, the the Westerns. They had 15-minute serials. So you could see Gene Autry or Hopalong Cassidy, followed by Zorro, followed by Flash Gordon, a 15-minute serial of the Superman or the Batman. So, But this one particular Saturday, they were showing all of the Batman serials, all of them, from beginning to end. They were just going to show them on the big screen from beginning to end. And... Sometime in that afternoon, late at the end of it, they put this on, Superman and the Mole Men. So I was about 12, I guess. So I'm thinking that was probably 1963, 64, that I saw Superman and the Mole Men for the first time, and I saw it on the big screen as a movie. And when it first started, I went, well, wait a minute, that's that's the TV show. And then realized, oh... Because in those days, you couldn't get home, get on Google, or you couldn't take your smartphone and look up the history of the world while you're sitting there experiencing it. So I had no idea other than the TV show that it existed. So the first time I saw it was in the theater at the, and I think it was called the Capitol Theater here here in Richmond, and saw it for the first time on the big screen. But then again, I didn't see it again as a movie until I was an adult. And again, on TV, they showed it. On It might have been Nickelodeon when they did that Superman weekend right. where they showed all 104 episodes when they started covering it. And I think they also showed Superman and the Mole Men and watched it for the most recent time last night <laughs> <laughs> and just loved it. In fact, I actually had to post on Facebook that I may not be able to enjoy the unknown people in the series the same way ever again that I used to after watching this last night. The whole movie from start to finish of Superman and the Mole Men, uncut, no commercials, just boom, like it was there. You then realize what what's missing. Right. Because even in the 50s, if we're going to go back there, when they showed it for the first time in the 50s as part of the Adventures of Superman, part one and two at the end of the first season the unknown people, they had to cut some scenes to make it fit even for TV then. Right. And now, of course, when Me TV shows it on Saturdays, when it shows the unknown people in the rotation, they've had to cut even more to fit modern commercial times. And you don't really realize it because the story, you don't miss any of the story, really. But there are, you know, 30 seconds here, a minute and a half over here, a little of the character development, even though they don't say anything. There are two quick scenes of the mole men doing things that don't make it to the show. So little bits like that. One key, when I noticed that right before we started recording, I watched the two Unknown People episodes just to see after I saw your Facebook post. Right. One thing that stood out to me is they cut out the scene like right after Lois sees the Mole Men, they cut out when she's telling Clark and Mr. Craig what she saw. Yes. It starts right with the sheriff coming in. Yes. And we'll get to and that that's sheriff a, later. And there's Lois giving uh, an entire you know rundown of what just happened. And they, they also cut out several scenes of the Mole Men walking and looking and touching other things and kind of communicating with each other. And it, it, but there, there are little things like that that, again, it didn't really affect the story, but it was nice to see them there and to realize, wow, they really did cut out about 
I'll bet they've cut five, six, seven minutes or more. Well, the two uh, ep- the two episodes are on my DVD counter said twenty five minutes each. The movie clocks <laughs> in at fifty eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they hacked true. off the whole beginning. The whole beginning is Which, hacked up. As far as the series goes, you don't need that. Right, you don't, but it's very cool to give the the, the to see that in the beginning of the moment where they're. Uh, it's not like when you see in the the series, strange visitor from another planet right. who came to Earth. It's not that, but it's a it's a simplified, it's uh, a shorter version of that. And it's the same Superman standing there, but instead of the other space scene we see in the background behind him, it's a whole different animated space scene. And the intro music, all of the music in Molmen is different than the music in Unknown People. Many years ago, when the planet Krypton, home of a race of supermen, exploded in space, the sole survivor was an infant boy who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Today, that boy, grown to manhood, is known as Superman. To better aid him in his never-ending fight against the forces of evil, he masquerades as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. No one is aware that Kent is Superman, valiant defender of truth, justice, and the American way. The soundtracks are different. The music cues are different. For the TV show, when they cut it for the TV show, they used the same music that had become the theme music for the yeah. Adventures of Superman TV show, which they didn't have for the movie. Right, but it doesn't fit. It doesn't to me. The, the Unknown People music or the original? The TV show music. Right. Didn't fit. It doesn't fit. You're right. It does not fit as well as the original score. But it was, you know, it's weird because I didn't really, that didn't really sink into me until kind of watching it last night. And I realized, my God, the music is so different, but this fits perfectly. The way the the, the spooky sounds for the mole men as they're walking, the sounds of Superman when he was flying, the overhead scene of him flying. There's just some some really wonderful, wonderful stuff in this movie. And I call it a movie because it is. It is. It is a movie. It is a movie. And it is, uh, it's got a terrific opening. You get it right from the get-go. It opens like good movies do. We don't see our hero for quite some time, but the movie opens with the guys at the, at the uh, well. Yeah. Closing it down, shutting it down. And there are a few extra few seconds of them doing that. There's a a scene of uh, pop that we don't see in the TV show of the two of them talking just before he gets the oranges thrown to him. There are little things like that. And But sitting here last night watching Right, when Corrigan is putting something in the shed. Yes, Yes, when he picked up and hid some stuff, remember he wrapped it up in the yeah. in a, a towel and goes and hides. We don't see that in the show. In the show, we see him locking it or finishing it right. and saying, "Don't sneak up on me!" All you know, right. yelling at pops. But we don't see in the show why he's yelling at pop. So you know, but little things. But right. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and that's why I think it's going to be a little hard because now when I watch Unknown People, I'm going to be thinking, "Oh man, oh man." <laughs> they cut that out. Oh man. That's why I so, can't really watch movies that I like on TV. It's a little harder. It's yeah. harder because I know what's missing. Right. Especially right. the movie I know very well. Right. Well, I I think now from now on, if I want to watch this story, I'm gonna pop in the moment. Right. I'm not gonna watch the unknown people. 
I might eventually do it just to say, I want to see what they did cut again. Because on MeTV now, and this is something that I didn't realize they did until last year, actually. So here in my whole adult life, and I didn't realize that for some of these older TV shows to make them fit, not only do they just cut out scenes going into or coming out of a commercial or cut a scene here and there in the cut, they will also speed up the the playback. So they record it for playback at a slightly higher speed so that instead of it taking, say, 25 minutes, it'll take 23 minutes. Right. Know, cut- I think they did that in when they sent it to series, too, especially in the second episode. There were a couple points where that mole man was moving awful fast. Yes. Faster yes. than I remembered him moving in the movie. Yes. Like right, and- right before he gets into the into the little shed there. Right. Now, some people have said they've actually done that on the DVDs themselves, too. I haven't noticed that when I'm watching the DVDs, but I do notice it periodically on a Saturday afternoon when I'm watching it on MeTV, that when they show one of them, I'll notice that, boy, Lois's voice is a little high. Right. (laughs) She doesn't normally talk like a chipmunk, does she? (laughs) I think I saw this one at the Unknown People first. Right. But in 1988... They released it on VHS as part of the Superman 50th anniversary celebration. Mm-hmm. I even just checked upstairs. We actually do still have the VHS. Oh, cool. In a blue sleeve. And you know it's the 50th anniversary. It's got that little uh, logo with Superman and the cake. Right. Very so, cool. I really only remembered watching it as the movie. So even when I got the DVDs, it never dawned on me to watch the episodes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the movie was just... What I was used to, so right. that was what I watched. I think today was the first time I uh, I watched the two episodes. <laughs> and honestly, I think the movie deserves better than being a special feature on the DVD. Well, I'm glad it's there. I am too. <laughs> <'Cause>, uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I agree. I, I think that, I have I, it too. I would pick that I, up in Walmart for five bucks. Oh, so would I. So would I. I have a VHS tape that has stamp day for Superman and it might have that Superboy pilot on it, the black and white one. I've got. The, I found that on YouTube. Yeah, if you haven't seen that, you should watch that too. That would have been a good. I'd have watched that. I would have watched that show. And but the VHS tape had Stamp Day for Superman, the Superboy pilot, and Superman and the Mole Men on it. And so that was, you know, one of the first times not in the theater that I saw Superman and the Mole Men all the way through for the first time. But I agree with you. I think it's it's just not given enough. People just don't talk about it enough. We see every periodically I'll see a flyer or a poster or a picture come through Facebook. But so many of my super friends, in quotes, have not really ever seen this. They they just, I don't know. Yeah, they know it's there. Right. But, you know, it's just not, quote, their Superman. So, you know. That's how it is. Some people really have a problem because let's face it, the costume is not perfectly fitting. It's a heavy wool suit and he's wearing it in the middle of the summer. Right. You know, particularly where the, where the trunks go into the legs, there's a lot of, you know, binding or bulging or whatever, you know, uh, wrinkling or whatever. So there are scenes where the suit just doesn't look good. There are scenes where, yes, you can see the strings. You can see certain things. And we mentioned this before. Right. But none of that took me out of this last night. Watching this sitting here. I was sitting here by myself. And 
I put the headphones on, you know, it was like a movie theater on the 40s inch, you know, and got up close and just boom, right into it and enjoyed it. And I, I just can't imagine somebody sitting down watching this and then being taken out of it because of the dumb stuff. No. This movie is so good. And it touches so many topics on so many levels. It's so deep. It's so deep. And like the radio show of the period from the 40s and 50s also, they did the same thing. They would go and touch these um, topics, these political and cultural topics. Superman always on the radio and now in this particular movie is fighting bigotry and racism just flat out. Just just saying, I have no patience for you. And actually, at the end of this movie, when he saves that bigot, and the guy's trying to thank Superman. You saved my life. That's more than you deserve. Superman doesn't look at him, walks away as he said, that's more than you deserve. Yeah. All right. Well- just so good because that's really what this is this movie is a a metaphor for the bigotry and racism that was going on in the united states at the time and it is so relevant for today still and there must be something wrong if you watch this movie and you don't see those things in it no you know, if you're on the side of <laughs> of the guys who want to kill the poor little mole men, right? Uh, yeah, build a wall. You know, one thing I didn't mention—I don't think I mentioned this last week—but having grown up first with the Christopher Reeve Superman films, coming to love this movie and the Adventures of Superman, that was when I learned that it was okay to like different versions of Superman. Yeah, and I—that's why I think I can like just about any version of Superman that's out there. I can find the I can find the good things in them. Well, if they're done right, if they're written well, that's the point. And, you know, as I've said before, I was born in 1952. So, you know, this is my 64th year on the planet. And I've been involved in reading Superman and watching Superman for 60 years. Later this summer will literally be the 60th anniversary of me reading that very first Superman comic book for the first time. So later I'm going to do a a June or July episode of Superman Forever. will be a a look back at the trunk and I'll talk about one or two of those comics. But with that in mind, that literally I have been a Superman fan for 60 years and every genre, it's not like once I fell in love with Kurt Swan's Superman, that I thought, well, that's the only way I'm going to read. I can't stand Kurt Schaffenberger or, you know, oh, Dan Jurgens, he doesn't know anything about Superman. No, there were there, there's every generation, there has been something good about the character and there's something good to find. And this is one of the things, there are several of my young friends now that I have met through podcasting and through the internet. And it's one of the things that I appreciate so much about some of the younger people. They may come to Superman for a number of different reasons, but so many of them are saying, whoa, there was a TV show in the 50s? Cool. And they're going back and finding this. They're finding the Fleischer cartoons. They're finding super friends. They're finding other versions of this character that are equally valid. And I may not like 
a lot of what has happened over the last five years or so right. in the comic books, but I can still point to several issues and, and a few storylines of the last few years right. where you can point to and say, there he is. There he is. That's him right there. And if this is your first example, first time with Superman, and that's the guy who's your Superman, you're just as valid a Superman fan as I am growing up with George Reeves and Max Fleischer. Right. You know, there is something there in this great character when he's done right. And I'm hoping that the movies will, you know, because the spark is there. We've got a good one. Henry Cavill. Yeah, we do. We, we got a good guy. There he is. He's right there. So I'm hoping we'll see more of him in the future. Uh, because we look at this movie, and like I said, we watched, both of us, you and I both have watched this movie, The Superman and the Moleman, recently. You know, this is, we're not having to go back on memory of nostalgia, but I, I sat here last night I looking could've. at this. Oh, I, I could have easily, but I'm so glad that I actually sat down and watched it last night because, you know, there are little things in it that just make me smile so much when Lois is being held by those other two guys and she steps on one's foot and hits the other one in the stomach and just, she just, just will not take any crap. And I just, I just think there is so much good because this story from start to finish is a story about tolerance, doing the right thing, and how you better put your bigotry somewhere else. And if you're a Superman fan and you still have those feelings of bigotry against another human, there's something wrong somewhere. There's a miss there's a misstep. There's a, you know, your your synapses aren't firing properly. If you're holding Superman up as your favorite character, as the ideals you wish to emulate, and do things against your fellow man, it just wouldn't happen. Do you think Superman would stop and say, wait a minute, they're the wrong color? They're the wrong religion? They're the wrong anything? No, it just would not occur to him. And I think we're, you know, we're, we see that so well in this particular film. And as I mentioned, I think last time, George Reeves and Phyllis Coates, this is the first time they worked together. It is was in this movie and they're perfect they are absolutely perfect he's my favorite clark kent she's my favorite lois lane of all time and we've had some good lois lanes from the new amy adams right back erica erica um uh jong jong how do you say her last name i don't know smallville Smallville durant yes erica durant right she was great in that role as Lois Lane. Terry Hatcher first scene. Great. The animated Lois in the Superman, the animated series. um, Just perfect. But those of us who grew up in the 50s had two great Lois Lanes. We had Noel Neal and we had Phyllis Coates. And totally different, but both are Lois. And both are the kinds of Lois that were straight out of the comics. Phyllis Coates, great golden age Lois Lane. Noel Neal, perfect Silver Age, particularly uh, in her own comic, the the Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, where they were more lighthearted and, and, you know, silly, goofy stories. But there were some very serious, good stories mixed in amongst them. I feel like I almost have to sometimes defend the Silver Age, just like I will defend this movie, because it's good. The quality is there. These are, particularly in Superman and the Mole Men, These are, as we mentioned last time, professional 
actors doing a professional job, giving it their all, playing it straight. They're not camping it up. They are acting in this movie as if it was a big-budget Hollywood Gone with the Wind movie. You, you could have taken any of these characters out of Superman and the Mole Men, many of them. The sheriff uh, went on. Uh, I mean, I could just go down the list of the big name guys. We've got guys in this Superman and the Mole Men who later, who were in Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Forbidden Planet, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. I mean, go down the list, Wagon Train, uh, on and on and on, because they were great theater and studio actors who were hired to do professional parts, and they did it. So this movie to me, I had no problem sitting down in front of this movie last night and just absolutely thoroughly enjoying it and being right in the middle of it. When the little mole man is in the in the shed being burned down and him trying to get out. What a terrific scene. And that actor, by the way, Billy, I'm forgetting everybody's last names here tonight. Billy Curtis. Billy Curtis. Thank you. Who was uh, in Wizard of right in front of me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Billy Curtis was very, very famous in, obviously, he was in Wizard of Oz. We represent the lollipop gown. That was him. There were only three uh, mole men listed in this cast list, It's four, but there were four. But there were four of them, and only the, the first three are, are listed. And Billy Curtis also went on to play Mr. Zero in one of the color episodes. Not a particularly good episode. A little weird, a little creepy at times, uh, especially during the last scene when, because Billy Curtis still looked like kind of a kid and he had his hair green and he was wearing a suit and stuff. And at the, as he's getting ready to leave to go meet the Martians as they're going to go pick oh, him up. Right, right. And right, Perry right. White gives him a box of cigars. Right, right. I, and he lights I one. I forgot there. about that episode. Uh, that, so funny. that was Billy Curtis? That was Billy Curtis, too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just, just, just funny, funny stuff. I I just love this this whole thing. But Superman in the moment. And get him to stop. <laughs> gotcha. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, folks. I'm gonna play a promo, and then Bob and I are gonna come back with Superman in the moment. Hang around. It's time for some thrilling heroics. A brand new podcast on TwoTrueFreaks.com. Keep flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to do the impossible, cover every episode of Joss Whedon's science fiction space opera western, and that makes us mighty. we found as fine a crew as ever populated the podcasting verse. I told them I had a job, they said yes. Didn't much care what it was. So join me, Andrew Leyland. I fought for the independence. May have been the losing side, not so sure it was the wrong one. I'm joined by a man too pretty to die, Mr. Paul Spataro. And last, but by no means least, a man with a mighty fine hat, Shepherd Bill Robinson. So join us on TutuFreaks.com for Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to misbehave. Welcome back, folks. So here we got a synopsis here for Superman and the Mole Men, brought to you by... Wikipedia. Yay, Wiki! They're 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 handy. Just a couple of notes though before we before I go into the synopsis. Uh, the movie is screenplay is credited to Richard Fielding, but that was just a pseudonym for Robert Maxwell and Whitney Ellsworth. I don't know if people knew that, but there that is. That's uh, a nice little piece of trivia, by the way. That is all right. So here we go. Mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent and Lois Lane are sent to the small town of Silsby for the inauguration of the world's deepest oil well. 
The drill shaft has penetrated the deep underground home of the Mole Men, a race of small, furry, though bald-headed humanoids. The Mole Men come up through the shaft at night, and when the creatures first emerge on the surface, their sudden appearance scares to death the elderly Night Watchmen. Lois Lane and Clark Kent arrive at the oil well and find the Dead Watchmen. Now, Clark, don't go building this thing up. He was an old man. He had a heart attack. It's as simple as that. I wonder. Those oranges on the floor, how'd they get there? Well, he was probably sitting in this chair when the attack came on. He tried to get up. The sack of oranges was on the table. He knocked it over with his arm, and the oranges spilled out on the floor. Well, that's fine, except for one thing. How'd that sack get over here? Good question. Subsequently, help arrived. Clark Kent and the foreman, whose name is Corrigan, are exploring the surrounding area for signs of intruders when Lois sees two of the creatures and screams. But no one believes her. But I tell you, you've got to believe me. I saw them with my own eyes. They were staring at me through that window. Were the animals or what? I tell you, I don't know. They had the bodies of, of, of moles and great big human heads. They were just horrible. Miss Lane, these creatures, I mean, if you really did see them, what were they doing there? What did they want? Well, the same thing they wanted with the watchman. Good heavens, you don't think that there's they were... There's no point in speculating until the coroner's through. I can tell them what happened here right now. Those creatures killed that poor old man, and they wanted to kill me. Nothing out there. What's the verdict, Doc? Oh, it looks like a heart attack. It'll take an autopsy to make that official. I don't find any signs of violence. How old was he? Close to 70. That's probably it, then. I'll send Regan up for the body. Doctor. Could Shannon have been frightened to death? Frightened? Yes, I mean, by something he saw. Oh, possibly. A sudden shock could have caused an attack, provided he had a heart condition to begin with. Oh, Miss Lane, remember and take it out of one of those capsules before you go to bed. Good night, all. Good night, Doc. Well, I don't reckon there's much more we can do up here. Well, aren't you going to do anything about those creatures? No, nah, Miss Lane, Mr. Corrigan and me, we looked all over and we could... You don't believe me. You think I made the whole thing up. Clark stays behind to confront Corrigan. I thought you might be ready to talk now. About what? About that report you submitted to the home office. Just why did you close the well down? I told you once, the report's confidential. That was this afternoon. Shannon was still alive then. Why did you bury those tools? Catch you a newspaper man. He wants a story. Well, I can give you one that's so big, so fantastic that you wouldn't dare print it. Whatever you can prove, I'll print. Okay. Come on. Well, we started drilling 21 months ago, September the 5th. Nine months later, June the 3rd, we hit 24,810 feet, deeper than any wells ever been drilled before. June the 26th, at 30,000 feet, I, I took a sample of the stuff that we've been boring through, put it in a test tube, labeled it, and stuck it on the rack. This one. I switched off the lights and started to leave, and then I remembered that I'd left my keys on the table. I turned to get them, and... This is what I saw. Radium? Oh, that's what it looks like. A friend of mine is coming out with a Geiger counter tonight. That's a good idea. It might just be harmless phosphorescence. Well, that's what I figured, until this last one. 
And that one looks as hot as a fireman's helmet. Those five samples, they're taken at various levels. Mm-hmm. At intervals of 500 feet. Mm-hmm. And the radium content increases. Well, that's what scared me. I was afraid if we went any deeper that we'd be coming up with almost pure radium. And I wouldn't want to expose anyone to that. Mm. But you did go deeper. Yes. At 32,600 feet, the drill broke through. Broke through what? And it was hanging in midair, as though we'd gone through the last solid layer of the Earth. And after that, nothing. Just empty space. You mean the center of the Earth is hollow? Well, is there any other explanation? Well, anyway, when I got the drill head up, it, it had sort of a funny look to it. What do you mean, funny? I don't know. It didn't look right. So, just for luck, why, I scraped it and put the stuff into the microscope. Here, take a look. What are they? I don't know. But whatever they are, they're alive. Well, I thought that all life ceased below the first rock level. Yeah, so did everyone else. But these things were alive six miles down. Then it's possible there could be other forms of life down there. More highly developed. Maybe another civilization. And here's the point. We've drilled a hole right down to the hollow center of the Earth. So whatever is down there could come up. And you think something came out of that hole tonight? I don't know. But those creatures that Miss Lane said she saw, and Pop being scared to death. Well, I, I put a metal cap on the drill case. The cap was off when I got there. The townspeople become afraid of the mall men due to their peculiar appearance, and because everything they touch glows in the dark. They form an angry mob in order to kill the monsters, directed by the violent Luke Benson. Joe, you and Larry Carpenter cover the woods west of the mill. Get one of those searchlights from the firehouse. Bert Maddox, Chuck Weber, you cover the pass beyond the fort. Eddie and Matt, you check the Arroyo east of town. Meet the rest of the boys and run the dogs from Miss Pomfrey's place. Just a minute, please. Before you start anything, I'd like to warn you. These creatures may be dangerous. Is that right, mister? Now, who are you? My name is Kent. I'm a newspaper man. Have you seen these critters? Well, no, I haven't. Well, some of these folks have. Miss Pomfrey here. Yes, there I was putting my hair up. Yeah, and Jeff Reagan almost killed him like he did old Pop Shannon. And you're telling us they're dangerous. But you don't understand. We understand plenty, mister. You just keep out of this or you'll get hurt. Come on, boys, let's go. Wait a minute, you must well, listen to me. Clark, don't interfere. They know what they're doing. They haven't any idea. Now listen to me, all of you. You don't know anything about these creatures, what they are or where they've come from. But here's a man that can tell you. Go on, Corrigan. They came up out of the drill shaft in the oil well from six miles underground. <laughs> they look strange to us, it's true. We must look just as strange to them. But as far as we know, they don't mean us any harm. Yeah, what about old Pop Shannon? And what about me? Yeah, me too. There I was putting my hair up for the night when Don't I... you understand? All these things happened because you were frightened. Now, if you'll just be reasonable and keep Can what? Just settle down and let these critters take over? Not likely. But don't you see, if you go around shooting at shadows, someone's liable to get hurt? Go home. Lock your doors if you're afraid. Let me handle this. You! Are you crazy, Clark? Please. I promise you I'll take care of these little creatures, one way or another. Superman is the only one able to resolve the conflict, stopping Benson and the mob. He saves one of the creatures after it has been shot by taking it to the hospital. The second creature returns to the wellhead and disappears down its shaft. Later, a doctor reveals that the creature will die unless he undergoes surgery to remove the bullet. Clark Kent is forced to assist when the nurse refuses to do so out of fear and no other nurses are on shift that night. Soon <laughs> afterward, ben Benson's mob arrives at the hospital demanding that the creature be given to them, leading Superman to stand guard outside the hospital. Corrigan before she gets hurt. Mr. Corrigan doesn't have to get me out of the way. I can get out of the way by myself if I feel like it. But I just don't feel like it. 
Try to get in there, Benson. Dr. Reed's in charge tonight. He's left orders that no one's to be admitted. Oh. That's your answer, mister. It may be an answer to you, it means nothing to me. Yeah, well, we're running this town. We ought to string you up, too. Yeah. Are you all right, Miss Lane? You're gonna step aside or we have to make trouble. Put some lead in him, Luke. Mr. Benson tried that once already. It didn't work. Now I'm going to give you one last chance to stop acting like Nazi stormtroopers. Who are you to tell us what to do? All I'm telling you is that that little creature in there has as much right to live as you do. Don't forget, you invaded his world. You sank a pipe six miles into the ground. And when he climbed up, you set dogs on him, shot him. Inside, you stay away from the front of the building. Whoever fired that shot came close to killing Miss Lane. Obviously, none of you can be trusted with guns. So I'm going to take them away from you. Later, three more mole men emerged from the drill shaft, this time bearing a strange-looking vacuum cleaner. I mean, a strange weapon. Although that thing does look like a vacuum cleaner. They make their way to the hospital. Benson and his mob see the creatures, and Benson goes after them alone. When the creature sees him, they fire their laser-like weapon at him. Superman sees this and quickly jumps in front of the pulsating ray, saving Benson's life, which Superman says is more than you deserve. He fetches the wounded creature from the hospital. Actually, the, I should have read this beforehand. He already fetched the wounded creature. And returns him to the him and his companions to the wellhead. Soon after, from deep underground, the mole men destroy the drill shaft, making certain that no one can come up or down it ever again. It's almost as if they were saying, you live your lives, and we'll live ours. Isn't that a great and Superman and Superman shakes his head. Yeah. Yes, he does. He does not. <clears throat> he does not. So obviously, we talked a little bit about this movie in before the break. Uh, now, what'd you think of that little intro they gave to Superman at the start? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, I, I get it. Might have been just because I hadn't seen it in a while, and it was so different from the TV show opening that I kind of liked the little, you know, blue-tinted solar system planets flying around and stuff. I, I, I thought it was fun. And it was a scaled-down version of the strange visitor speech. Right. That doesn't get developed for another year or two. <laughs> right. But I love the opening. I like, you mean, that's what you're talking about, right? Just the Yeah, just a small opening. The small opening. Different music, as we mentioned before. It's not the what we come to know later as the traditional... Adventures of Superman right. theme songs, theme music. But so when this was different released music. theatrically, no one had heard that yet. Yeah, nobody had heard that. Nobody. So uh, theatrically, this worked perfectly, I'm sure. I'm, it might have been a little strange for, to kind of showcase George Reeves that they're putting him in a small town and not Metropolis. I thought that might have been strange for what they were trying to do. If it was just an episode, yeah, that's fine. Take him out of town for once in a while. But to have a movie and to not have Metropolis and, I don't know, just seemed a little strange, but... 
You go well, isn't that interesting? That's an interesting that you mentioned that. You're right, because this was kind of like a pilot, as right. we mentioned before. This was, you know, nowadays they would do a pilot and show it on TV. Right. This was kind of the test. We'll do a movie to see if they like it. And if they like it, we'll do a TV show. Right. So that is kind of an interesting thing that you mentioned there, that for the first time we're going to see the new Superman, not the Kirk Allen, right. but... A couple of years after that, now we're going to see the new Superman for the first time. And they put him in a small southwestern town, oil town, instead of the East Coast big city metropolis. And we don't see in this movie any of the supporting cast other than Lois Lane. We don't see Jimmy or Perry or Robert Shane as Inspector Henderson. We don't see any of the right. It's just Clark and Lois on assignment. They mention Perry White. Right. And the Daily Planet, of course. But never see them at all. So you're right. That's very interesting that for their first movie, they wouldn't show him where he's going to spend most of his time in the series. Right. And this is so unlike anything we've seen, we see in the series. Yeah. The closest really could be the first season when the, in the episode where they go back to Lois's hometown because of the fog thing, right? The lighthouse. And what was that? The fog? I forget the name of the episode, but, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy was the lighthouse. Jimmy was the lighthouse, but the Lois and Clark go back to Lois's hometown, and everybody had the deserted village or the deserted, t- um, what was it called? I don't know. I'm drawing a blank now. But other than that, the, this external seer, we don't see a lot of exteriors of the desert like we do here, the location scenes. Even before we see Lois and Clark for the first time, we meet Corrigan as he's having his men bury some tools. What did you think of Corrigan in this movie? Oh, I like Corrigan. I think he's, uh, again, a character actor, a guy I've seen in other sci-fi movies. I like the guy. And at first, I didn't know. I thought, you know, maybe he's going to be the bad guy because of the way they bring him up and how he's ordering people around. And, you know, and then finally, when he breaks to Clark and then he takes him in the room and shows him what's going on, you know, we we see the real Corrigan, who's the good guy, trying to do the right thing. I think when you see him at first, he definitely... Gives the air that he has something to hide. Yes. Especially, Which he does. <laughs> well, but not for the reason we think he does. Right, exactly. You, we, you think he's doing something corrupt or underhanded. And especially the way he snaps at Pop Shannon, the watchman, right. in their first meeting. What do you want? Me, Mr. Cargan? Not a thing. Well, then stop sneaking up on people. I don't like it. It's only a man with a guilty conscience thinks others are spying on him. Pop, you talk too much. Keep your mouth shut. Oh, well, no. I'm sorry, Pop. I guess I'm a little jumpy today. Oh, that's all right. He had something. He didn't want that guy seeing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was, you know, I think, again, good acting, good directing. And they did that on purpose. It wasn't, you know, an accident that we feel mixed about him in the beginning. Right. They did that on purpose because we don't know what the mystery is. And, And that's what, you know, this movie has in common with the first season. It's mystery. It's a crime drama. And in this one, it's a science fiction drama, you know, because we've got little guys coming up from the center of the earth. Now, obviously, another character we don't see for very long. What did you think of Pop Shannon? Oh, I like Pop. I like Pop. I wish we had seen him longer. You know, I had to laugh, though, last night, because after everybody gets there, the doctor and, you know, everybody's there. Uh, we, they don't actually show the floor 
and pop laying there. But I think they're giving us the impression that he's kind of still laying there. Or it's, it's really weird. When do they move the body and all the other scenes? Because when he that you know when the doctor first gets there and he's putting his stuff away, right. he's talking about how he probably died of a heart attack and this and that. But I had to think uh, as part of that dialogue. Personally, I had to laugh a little bit because they said. Um, uh, something about him dying of a heart attack. And somebody said, well, how old was it? And he said, well, he's late 60s. Well, yeah, that's probably it then. This doctor thinking, didn't seem very sure. Yeah, I know. When I'm thinking, uh, in my life, wait a minute, late 60s, come on. That's not that old. <laughs> I'm almost there. And, you know, right so. in that scene with the doctor after he's died, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but that's okay. But right before that, Lois is, and we mentioned before, this was cut out of the TV version. Lois is telling Mr. Craig, the PR guy, and Clark what she saw. Are they having that conversation over the man's body? Exactly. Exactly. Because we we get the feeling that the doctor is putting his stuff back in his black bag because he just examined the dead pop's body. Right. But then, you know, and I'm and I'm just thinking about this now, since they never showed that floor again, maybe they had already moved the body. And he's putting his stuff back because he just finished helping Lois because he did say to her, take it easy and take another one of those capsules. No, <laughs> because Jeff Regan, wasn't Jeff Regan the coroner? Yes. He was on his way to get the body. You're but, right. And the, the whole reason Clark and Corrigan are there is because they're waiting for the coroner to the come The coroner to body. get there. You're right. Yeah, Although I think when they, they spot did. the oranges, there's no sign of the body. No. But then there's this thing when Clark bends over and says, and, you know, because Lois gives the explanation of, well, he had a heart attack, knocked the oranges over and over, and then Clark steps over something and picks up the bag and then says, well, why is the bag then over here? Right. Uh, you know, I love that because, you know what? Everything she's saying makes perfect sense. Yes. But even she, and that's when the wheels start turning in her head. Right. When she's just... You know, you see it when they first arrive. She wants no part of this assignment. No part of it at all. Yeah. She yeah. is sarcastic the whole way. Yeah. yeah. In like, modern times, Margot Kidder may have said, how am I going to win a Pulitzer Prize out here? Right. And this you is know? kind of the same thing. She even yeah. says it at one point. I think it's maybe in, oh, it's right when they're at the well, after they finding out that the well is closed. She's like, uh, now like I can say I've seen Silsby. Hello there. You all packed? Uh-huh. How about you? I thought I'd wait till morning. Well, it certainly is a gay and cheerful little place, isn't it? Silsby, population 1,430, home of the world's deepest oil well. Big deal. It's too bad Craig doesn't like to drive at night. Otherwise, we'd have been on our way to Dallas by now. Where is Craig? Turned in. So he's all worn out from this afternoon. Well, he left us the keys to the car in case you want to go anywhere. Oh, fine. Well, at least I can say I've seen Silsby. Couldn't have lived without it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. right. She, but, wants, uh, she it, wants to be Metropolis watching for Superman. Yeah, but then periodically, as the as the story starts to unfold, she gets more involved in it, and there are some really good exchanges between her and Superman. There are, and one I think is is logical that Clark goes away. They make a joke about where does he go, right? And she says, "Well, I hope you realize what a fool you've made of yourself." He always does that. Gets himself in a jam and then runs away. Well, let's see what's happening outside.
and then they start to go down the thing, and then Superman shows up. So that one, no problem. Clark is gone for a logical reason. Superman shows up at an entirely different place in the town, down the street. No problem putting the two and two together here. But later in the show, Clark runs into the hospital, and then Superman comes back out. And I thought, well, they could have done that better. But I, I might have jumped ahead. Yeah, a you bit. did, but that's okay. <laughs> there, there's more stuff about that that we'll come back to. Yeah. So, so eventually the the mole men climb out of the well. You know, just looking at them for some reason they have male pattern baldness. <laughs> right, Picard baldness. Right, <laughs> and I'm guessing they look as though they're wearing black jumpsuits. But I'm guessing that's supposed to represent fur. You know, it's it's 1950s makeup. So yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think they're supposed to look like their whole body is furry. Right. Their their hands are look very hairy. Right. They look kind of like hobbits. Yeah, a little like hobbits. I know it was a little weird when they first came out and they're kind of investigating and walking around and they look it's just weird the way they were walking kind of hunched over. Yeah. I'm thinking what did the director say to them? No, 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 walk more creepy like. <laughs> I, I don't know. Just it was kind of weird. Yeah, cuz they were like, but something like, else. They walk like small sumo wrestlers almost. <laughs> well, you know, there's something else too that I think they did. You're talking about how many levels and how deep this this storyline goes. We notice that every time an adult sees the monsters, as I'm calling them, as they were thinking right. about them, the mole men, the men wanted to kill them, and the women screamed and ran away from them or screamed. But the child, and I thought this was a brilliant scene to add, you know, to make this as deep as it was, to show that bigotry is something that is learned. It's not innate. The child, when she sees, it was the exact same scene between Lois and the mole men peeking in Lois's window. Lois screams. Same two creatures peek in a little girl's room, and she goes... If you don't want to talk or look at any of my books, maybe you'd like to play catch. Curiosity of of children. Of children. Well, hi, who are you? Well, come on in. Let's right. play. So that was just a brilliant, brilliant scene. And it didn't go to waste. They didn't no. just leave it for the viewer to, you know, to put all the pieces together. Later, Superman himself makes that point. Right. The child was not afraid. It was the mother's scream right. that scared her. The These- mother was the one character... Whose actions I was okay with. Mm-hmm. You know, she comes in to her daughter's room. Right. 
She's on, on the floor with two creatures. She has no idea what they are. Right. And they don't look like children. They no. look like little hairy men. Right. And so, they're in their daughter's room. Exactly. Yeah, I'd, I'd be scared too. Yeah. I'd be freaking out too. Yeah. I'd be freaking too. I'd probably pick my daughter up and get her out of there pretty quickly. Yeah. But I'm, I don't know if I would have screamed. I don't know what I would have done, maybe. But but well, but yeah, I, there. Once your family is involved and your little girl, you got to protect her. Yeah, exactly. So that may have been. I think you're probably right. That may have been one justifiable. But under no circumstances is anything Luke Benson did in this entire movie. No, uh, nothing he justifiable. did is okay or justifiable in the at, at, at all. Uh, I, the I love that, the scene in the hotel where Benson has. Brought in, you know, has the people when they're yeah. all meeting af- after yeah. they've seen them. Yeah. And all the adults are, are reacting. And the first thing he blaming the creatures for assaulting Jeff Regan. No, Jeff Regan saw the monsters or whatever you want to call them. Right. He got, he got startled and he drove off the road. Right. That is probably, if you got that scared, that could be what, that is a perfectly... Not, I don't think he drove off the road on purpose, but you could see that happening. Right. The same thing with the woman who was putting her hair up. <laughs> she freaked up. And Clark right. had the best line he could have. He says, because he looks at them both and says, Don't you understand all these things happen because you were frightened? Yes. And it shows that when we're truly afraid, just the absolute worst parts of ourselves come out. Yes. And this movie showed that better than just about anything I've seen. Yeah. In that very scene that you're mentioning, that was the most stage theater-like scene of of the entire movie. Particularly the woman who tries to say three or four times, and I was getting ready for bed, putting my hair up. And then they interrupt her at that exact same spot three different times. But you could see kind of the way each one of them took their turn to say their little bit. Right. That was kind of theater-like to me. That was staged and kind of theater-like and then as clark pushes his way towards the front and then a lois does something that's kind of interesting clark she tells clark to stay out of it these people seem to know what they're doing you only get the feeling lois is on their side she was at first she was frightened by them too and was kind of saying let them handle it until superman showed up yeah and that's what happened so clark they all leave and to go down to the hospital and that's when Superman shows up, and that's when everything changes in Lois's attitude. Now, Superman shows up at the little girl's house. Uh, right, the little girl's house. Right. Before, before we get to that, let's. Right. I want to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. To the scene after, so we're established that Pop Shannon probably had a heart attack because the cre- the creature scared him to death. Right. He was close to seventy, so his heart was probably weak. But I want to talk about the uh, the scene between Clark and Corrigan, who we let, who we eventually found out that. His first name is Bill. We found that at the beginning. Wouldn't it have been cool if his name was Jim? Oh, God. I kept thinking that two or three times. I thought, oh, that'd be great if his name... What's his first name? What's his first right. name? Like, yeah. Just a little nod to... Even though he's not the Spectre, a little nod to the fact that he was... Spectre was created by Siegel and Schuster. But I don't think they right. cared so much about that back then. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. So, you know, one thing we, we mentioned to talk a lot about this last week, how... Much of a bulldog Clark was as a reporter. And you see that right from the first meeting between <laughs> Corrigan and Clark at the outset of the film, when he's trying to get to the story about the report of the home office. Right. Corrigan is evading and Clark is persisting. All I know is I made my report to the home office last Monday. 
The following day, the order came through to shut it down. Well, if you ask me, it doesn't add up. Mr. Corrigan, just what was in that report? I mean, the one that you sent to the home office. Uh, you're the newspaper man. That's right. I'm Clark Kent from the Tropolis Daily Planet. And this is Miss Lane. Too bad you came all the way out here for nothing. It's one of those things, I guess. What about that report? That's company business, Mr. Kent. Confidential. I see. Now, Bill, we promised these people full cooperation. Well, then you cooperate. I haven't got the time. And eventually, he kind of lets up on it. And then after they find Shannon, de Shannon dead, he presses it again. I thought you might be ready to talk now. About what? About that report you submitted to the home office. Just why did you close the well down? I told you once, the report's confidential. That was this afternoon. Shannon was still alive then. And yeah, things are different now. Corrigan challenges him. Kent, you're a newspaper man. You want a story. Well, I can give you one that's so big, so fantastic, that you wouldn't dare print it. And Clark gives this look. He just stares him down. Whatever you can prove, I'll print. Yep. I think at that point, Corrigan knows he's trapped. <laughs> right. That Clark has him. Plus, I think newspaper people had different reputations and different status then. I, you, they do it all the time in this series, not just the show, but all throughout the series. So many times, Clark or Lois want to get somewhere, and all they do is say, you know, I'm a reporter. Oh, okay, you're with the press? Come on in. Right. Today, you're with the press? No, I'm sorry, you can't come in here. So it's a whole different attitude. Yeah, I, I'm in the press. <laughs> I work at a couple of weekly newspapers. I run a couple oh, of weekly cool. newspapers. Oh, cool. Look, look at me like the plague sometimes. Yeah, well, you know, usually if a reporter shows up and you've got something to hide, they don't they don't want you there. Right. And I think Corrigan and Clark have a great little back and forth that you're talking about here. And then you actually see Corrigan's shoulders drop, right. you know, and everything. And it's almost like the, the weight just lifted off of him when he makes the decision. And again, good acting. Right. And he says, okay, come here. And then he shows Clark the, uh, and tells him the whole story. Even, even right when they, le when they left, when Corrigan says he's in a way for the body, after everybody's left, he comes up, kind of comes up to him like, Try, you know, I asked to stay, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I yeah. have you. But yeah, I think it was right when they saw, I think Corrigan knew from the get go where those creatures were from. Oh, he did know. That's, yeah, he knew as soon as the creatures showed up, as soon as somebody mentioned creatures, right. he knew what was going on. Which as soon is as what Clark mentioned really that the drill shaft him. was off when he was yeah. off. Um, and I don't know, know how they opened that from the inside. How they opened the shaft, the drill shaft from the inside. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Does it have a latch on the inside? <laughs> how did they get up in it? Because if they're talking about that's a six mile long tube. <laughs> How long does it take you to drive six miles, let alone climb up a tube that's six miles long? They, so they must have had you a know, really long ladder. Yeah, some of this stuff you kind of have to, you know, roll with it. You got to roll with it. You got to roll with it. You know, with the whole fact that you know, you mean the center of the Earth is hollow. You know, Clark points out that Clark going to show him what he believes is radium. I'm not sure. I guess in the, I'm not sure why in the 40s to 50s anything that glowed was radium, but uh, that was the time period after World War II, dropping yeah. of the bomb. Everything was radioactive. That was the big thing: nuclear, this, right. atomic, that. In fact, 
nowadays there is an era it used to go golden age of comics right to silver age to bronze age etc etc now between the golden age and the silver age kind of post world war ii say 46 to 52 to 54 that six-year period or so is now called the atomic age of comics even in the price guide now it's listed as the atomic age and this would fit right in that time period and exactly. And that's exactly what this is all about. So, uh, I mean, you're talking about this being deep and on many levels. This is one of the levels, the whole atomic thing being dangerous. So these people are coming up from the center of the earth. They're probably radioactive with something that we don't understand, nuclear, whatever. Right. And, you know, so many, many, many levels they added to this thing for this, you know, hour and what, five minute yeah. <laughs> movie. And, well, Clark, Clark points out that it might be harmless. And you would think he would know. Wouldn't he know that it's not radium? I guess his vision powers are not as well developed at that point. Yeah, it's hard to say because I think even in this period of time, uh, they didn't even distinguish between heat vision and x-ray vision. He melted stuff with the heat from his x-ray vision. Right. So it becomes a little later that they start, you know, giving him multiple vision powers. But, you know, if you know, if you're like watching it for a second time and you know they're harmless, you can see the clues throughout the movie. They handle a flower. Yes. It doesn't die. Doesn't die. We don't see the, the girl suffer anything from touching the ball. No. So we get the so we get some clues that they're right. okay. Yeah, they show us a lot, which is always good in film viewing that right. the, if you give the viewer the clue, you don't want to just show up in the third act with the butler did it, but you've never seen the butler throughout the entire movie. Right. So and, yeah, I like that they did that. And they even and it's a subtle scene, but they even showed how timid these guys are. They see that little snake and they huddle up. They're <laughs> right. terrified of that thing. Right. And I was thinking that too when I saw that little snake. And then the two of them kind of hug and huddle each other. Right. Thinking, Is that what two people who were together would do if they're frightened by something? Would they actually grab each other? And we see that from time to time right. in movies where things happen. We, I saw it in Star Trek. I've seen it in so many different things where, well, of course, if Kirk's with a woman and something scary happens, he's going to grab the woman and hug her. Right. Well, but, of course. But we see that we've seen that before. That's not the first thing. But for some reason, I had I laughed a little bit last night when right. that happened, and when they hugged I mean, each no, other. I scared of this tiny little snake. Yeah. It was pretty so, funny. If it was a Scooby-Doo cartoon, he, Scooby would have uh, uh-huh. on somebody's neck. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, very good. So now, we'll go back to the hotel now. These people are terrified and there's no reasoning with any of them. Mm -mm. I wonder what kind of person Benson was yesterday. I bet he was the same kind of person, but just at other things. Right. Because I think everybody knew, you know, Luke Benson, kind of a hothead, kind of a guy or whatever. There was another funny scene I'm trying to think when it happened. Oh, it's when Luke found out. Oh, this is towards the end. Right. So I'll wait until we get there for that. One thing, Luke Benson, he's the perfect case of doing the wrong thing for the right reason. He gets really upset when they think they they, they attack that girl. Right. When the child, when he thought they were right. doing something. Because he even said, you know. Pop Shannon maybe don't mean nothing. And Jeff Reagan's old enough to take care of himself. But when these critters come after a little kid. I aim to do something about it. Well, they didn't actually come after the children. No. And, that, and that's one of the things that I, I want to point out right away. The mole men did nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing wrong. They just walked around and 
Because they could. They just checked out what was going on. They didn't attack anybody. Right. Anytime somebody noticed them, they acted like, like wild animals would. Right. They just ran away. Ran away. Except for the, except for the little girl. I always liked whenever she talked, they would just look at each other. Their heads would turn like, hmm? <laughs> like, like dogs. Yeah. What? What? Her? Her? Here's our first Clark Kent secret identity uh, snafu. He tells everybody to let him hit. Right. <laughs> and they all look at him like, what? Who yeah. the hell is this guy? <laughs> yeah, you're a reporter. What are you going to do? Yeah. And he, talk. And uh, what did you think of the mother's scream? That rival uh, Phyllis Coates' scream? Nah. <laughs> nah. She's got the best scream ever. Yeah, yeah. she does. And they it was a good scream, but it wasn't It wasn't uh, Phyllis Coates' quality scream. That It looked like that house was pretty far when you see him flying. I'm not sure right. how loud the scream was. I'm not sure all the people are hearing that all the way down the street. <laughs> no, no. You could tell they didn't want to show him flying. Right. And it's kind of weird because they did do, there were at least two wire takeoffs in this. Yeah, there And was. I think one of them might have been a stuntman. There was the, the first one might have been right, right after the first change. Right. He runs, but I down, think he runs down his favorite alley. The favorite alley that, gee, they got the same alley in Metropolis. Wow. You know, cool. Kirk Allen had a big rock that he, that he took around with him. <laughs> Jump behind that rock. Yeah. Well, I had to laugh at, at the Kirk Allen. People make fun of the Kirk Allen because after he takes off, you know, it's the guy, but then he turns into the cartoon flying. Right. They did that once here, the cartoon once. Yeah, for when he catches a few seconds. Right in front of the dam. Right. But, you know, I have to laugh a little bit when people say, oh, they wouldn't do that today. And I'm thinking they did exactly the same thing today. It just it's, just that, it's just that we have better animation capabilities today. But you didn't really think that's you know, Henry Cavill flying up there, do you? <laughs> he didn't take off like a rocket. He bent down, he jumped up, cut. Now we got an animated guy. Right. So it's exactly the same process. It's just we have better tech today right. than they had then. If they could have made that cartoon look just like Kirk Allen, or in this case, George Reeves, they would have done it. And so. I, I liked how they kind of made up for it here. Instead of showing him, yeah. he showed the aerial shot of what it probably looks like to him as he's flying by. Right. Kind of if he were looking down backwards a little right. bit. But yeah, I thought that was a really interesting scene. He's and they never used that again. And it's too bad they never used that that uh, device again in the series at all. They never again. They came close, I think, in the Jade, Mystery of the Jade right. statue or something, where he flew from one part of the city over to the alley behind the guy. They did a little bit of that. I was hoping they would go even further and show us kind of an overview of the city so we could see where is the hospital in relation to the hotel, in relation right. to the little girl's house, in relation to the shed that they catch on fire and the dam. Where is all this stuff? Because they kind of got to them all pretty quickly. Well, the town so, of 1,400 people, so. Sillsville or Sills. It, it can't be that big. Yeah, it can't be that big. Um but in the storyline now, so we've come and now we're, they're up on the thing. They're moving around. They've seen the little girl. Well, Superman uh, has. Superman has. They arrive, they arrive at the house and Superman comes out of the, out, out of the door. The little girl's all right. She was just scared. Benson is immediately threatening Superman. Right. Get out of that doorway. Put the gun down, Benson. <laughs> Does he shoot him for the first time here? No. Because Benson shoots Superman two different times, Twice, I yeah, think. Yeah, but not here. So, but um, Superman 
takes the rifle from him, and Superman bends it. Bends it. Oh, he did pick him. Is this where he picks him up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, makes... I love when he when he bends it, and uh, he does that one woman in the background. It's like... This is amazing. And he looks so good there. He looks so Superman he does. there. Mm. And then he picked him up and, you know what? I'm going to bet George Reeves actually picked Jeff Corey up. It looked like he grabbed him in his belt and just picked him up. <laughs> well, I bet he did too. So, you know, incredible. <laughs> and it's, it's clear, you know, the first season would go with this for a lot, for most of the first season. They abandoned this in the second. Nobody knows who Superman is. Right. Everyone except for Lois is shocked when they when they see him do what he does. Right. And in the first season they did that several times where somebody would look at him in this being and be looking at him up and down, the bus driver, the right. guy who runs a hotel. This they look at him like, "Who? What is? What are you?" Yeah. So then after Superman bends Luke's gun, his rifle, yeah. Luke runs lifts him up and actually gives a line while he's holding him up yeah. in the air, uh, tells him that it's... It's men like you that make it difficult for people to understand one another. You were warned nothing would come of this but trouble. Again, they're, they're really hitting us on the racism, bigotry, really hard. This whole movie is about that topic. This is 1951. It, Did the Red, Red Scare start yet? Yeah, the Red Scare was going at this point. Right. Pretty much as soon as World War II was over right. and the communists got so much of, of Eastern Europe that, yeah, it started pretty much pretty quickly. Right. So by the time we get to 51, 52, and then in the middle of the 50s, when I'm starting to get to school and they're teaching us duck and cover and hide under your desk, right. they literally had us believing that if an atomic bomb goes off, your wooden desk is going to protect you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In hindsight, it's just a good way where they'll keep us all there so they can know who was killed. Right. Yeah. Even now in school, they're still doing that. Except now we're, uh, they're doing lockdown drills and active shooter drills. Mm. Um, we, we, we haven't gotten any better. Ugh. Incredible. So uh, we talked about Benson wanting to protect the little girl. He was quite upset about that. Now, at, at this point, you, you can tell Craig and Corrigan have never seen Superman before because. Craig wants the sheriff. And Lois is like, hey, you and your silly sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> right. And this is kind of the first time. Well, it is the first time. Phyllis Coates' version of Lois doesn't gush over Superman very much. No, she doesn't. But she does but it there, here. She does here. And in fact, there is a, a scene that I'm going to have to get a still if I can, you know, freeze frame it at some point. Because there's at one there's one point where she actually looks up at him with this, you know, almost lovesick puppy love smile look on her face and you just don't see that much from Phyllis Coates no. in the first season. Actually, I think it's, it's, I think it's right after this. I think it might when, be. I think it's when he leaves the house. Yeah, it might be. She's a, she's given that look and yeah. Corrigan and Craig are looking up at him. Like, what am I seeing? Right. Cause they're seeing him fly for the first time. Yeah. Uh, she is adoringly. Right. Yeah. But even yeah. she's still scared of the, uh, she's still scared of them at this point. Because she's absolutely aghast that they're inside the house. Yes, yes, that they are actually in. You mean they were in the house? Yeah. Right. Right. So this is where... This is where Reporter Lois kicks in. This is where Reporter Lois gets in and starts going on. But now this is where, once all this hubbub, the two of them start to run, and Luke 
gets his gang together and follows them with the dogs. Right, with, to the dam. But bef- I want to talk a little bit about the scene with Lois, though. But how oh, she okay. wants to call in the phone in the story. Phone. I've got to get to a phone. Why, this is the biggest story of the century. I wouldn't do that if I were you, Miss Lane. And why not? You know what'll happen. Screaming headlines. Monsters invade Western town. Look, I'm a newspaper woman, and I have an obligation to report the facts. That's true. But these facts would start a nationwide wave of hysteria. You saw what happened here, tonight? No. If we're going to stop this thing, it has to be stopped here and now. He's right, Miss Lane. I guess so. But what about Clark Kent? I'll bet he's phoning in the story this very minute. I'm quite sure he isn't. And oh, right, I, right. I love Superman's justification for it. Right. Because he wants to avoid the panic that we're seeing right here in Silsby. That was one of the scenes where I wanted to pop in the unknown people to see if that entire scene is still in there, too. I didn't remember. You know, I don't I remember, think it is. Because I remembered Lois saying she wanted to call it in, but I just seemed to remember them shutting it down real quick. But I don't remember that. I didn't remember watching it last night. I didn't remember that the scene went on that long about her wanting to call in and then Superman giving basically a speech right. at why she shouldn't do it. And, you know, and, and he's right. Oh, he's absolutely right. And then she said, well, Clark Kent's probably phoning it in right now. Right. And he just looked at her and said, I'm sure he's not. Right. Now, <laughs> I just, like I said, right before we got on, I watched The Unknown People just to see. I don't think that was in. I don't remember it being there. Yeah, I don't think that scene, because it's a, it's a, it goes on for two or three minutes. Right, and they're getting to the end, the end of where part one ended. So they, they started to rush a little bit. Yes. You so, know, now, uh, if something like this happened... Somebody would have had their iPhone out and this would have been on YouTube already. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, that's something else I think about when I'm watching old shows like this. And even shows that aren't this old, shows from the 70s. Uh, I'm a big Columbo fan, too. I love Columbo. And it's kind of become a date night. Every Sunday night, my wife and I watch a rerun of Columbo. But I often think that kids are someone of today that have grown up with instant communication on your person at all times. Must think how... Just ancient and archaic it must be. What do you mean you had to go find a telephone to make a phone call? Right. Because I was thinking of this last night where, you know, several times the phone played an important part. And at one point when Corrigan is showing Clark the radio, the radium, the phone rings and he goes, oh, that's our ring. And I'm thinking, how many people of today will even know what that sentence means? That's our ring. And what that meant was, back in the day, there were party lines. And your phone would have a different ring than your neighbor's phone. In fact, I can remember as a kid on Homeview Drive in Richmond, Virginia, our phone was one long and two short. So it would go ring, ring, ring. That was our house. That was calling us. And sometimes we could pick it up and there'd be other people on the phone, other people making phone. You know, you could listen in party lines. So I must think modern kids particularly must think this was so weird that, well, may, may not because they don't actually talk on their phones. No. They, they don't actually use them for telephones. That would be strange to them. Yes, to actually talk on the device. But you know, uh, Speaking of that, I used to, even like during the series when Clark would get disconnected for a phone call. Right. He'd always hit the, the hang-up little button. Right. I'd always ask my parents, why is he hanging up on him? Like, no, <laughs> right. that's how they got to the operator. To the operator. You do that. You hit it three or four times, or bip, 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 and the operator would come in and say, yes. 
and and you'd get information. My mother in the late 40s after World War II and into the early 50s, shortly before I was born, was a telephone operator. Literally the kind where someone would ring and say, Rita, could you get me the Joe's Drugstore? And she would patch your cord into theirs and ring it for you. She was a telephone operator when you went through an operator switchboard to make a phone call. Imagine if you want to call another human being First, you have to talk to this human being to connect you to that other human being. Now you call somebody, you can't get a human being. Now you can't get a human being. So amazing. But anyway, so now we're, and this where is, are we in the show? We're, we're at the dam. We're getting to the dam now. So they put the dog. So Luke gets his dogs out, tells the guy, put the dogs on them. They chase these two kids, the two kids, the two mole men. Yep. At this point, there's two of them and they're up on top of the dam. And we've got two really good scenes here. Where for a, what seems like a pretty long time, these the two mole men are up on the top of the dam, and Luke Benson and his little mob with the dogs that have chased him up there. One of the other guys has a flashlight, a big spotlight, yeah. and he's putting it on him. Another guy has they a got rifle. From the firehouse. That he got from the firehouse, exactly. Apparently the whole and town it, is empty at this point. And uh, exactly, uh, they're just in little groups that keep running around the town the whole time. Well, you saw so, in the hotel that when Clark shows up, Benson was giving assignments. Yeah. There were a lot of people. There were 20, 30 people there. Now he's down to his little gang of five, yeah. basically. And they're up on the thing. And then Superman lands right behind, uh, right behind them. And again, on a wire. That was done on a wire. Yeah. They lowered him on a wire for that landing, which was very interesting to see. It was a nice-looking landing. It was a nice-looking landing, a very soft, nice-looking landing right behind him on camera. Yeah. With them in the foreground, and then they turn around and they have thing. Probably some shots were fired at that point. Yeah, that Did was they sh- that was the first time Benson shot at him. And then they the rifle the guy with the rifle turns around and shoots one of the the mole men off of the. Even after Superman warns them, you're not going to shoot those little creatures. In the first place, they haven't done you any harm. In the second place, they may be radioactive. If they fall in the reservoir, they may contaminate the water supply. Save your time and ammunition. This is where Superman tells yeah, Benson for the get... first time they might be radioactive, and if they fall in the water, they will pollute the water system. Don't do it. Bang. What do they do? They shoot him they immediately. Right. Well, like I said before, it's he's, he's still trying to be the voice of reason. And <laughs> still trying, yeah. And these, so they shoot him. These people are beyond reason. They're beyond listening. But I want to play devil's advocate for a minute. We know who Superman is. Right. To them... Who's this guy in this funny costume? You know, they really don't have any reason to believe Superman. He has no reputation. Not at this point. Not I'm nationally. Not, like, no. if it were me, I'm not sh- If I didn't know who he was, like... I don't know. I, would, I don't know. I would, I'm seeing a guy flying around. Bullets are bouncing off of... Bullets are bouncing off of him. I do what he I'm, says. Yeah. I might just say, okay, look, I'll you tell you what. We don't want these little monster creatures in our town... I'm going to give you five minutes to go get them and get them out of my town. Right. Then I'm shooting them. Yeah. I might have done something like that, even if I were in the mindset of a 50s bigot. Right. I might have at least seen a guy flying around in a red and blue suit, even though it's really gray and brown. Flying around in a red and blue suit, I might give him an opportunity to take advantage of. Let's see what you can do then. And then if you fail. But you'd have a pretty short story. Yeah. And you wouldn't be able to tell the story of don't be an idiot like Luke. I am we going don't. to regret saying this, 
Yeah. But you know what state this, this is supposed to take place in, right? The state? Yeah. It is heavily implied that this is Texas. Is it? <laughs> and even actually Clark does say in the hotel when they've left, if Craig wanted to drive at night, they'd have been halfway to Dallas by now. Oh, that's right. He did say Dallas. So it's heavily implied that they're in Texas. But they also said 2,500 miles from Metropolis, which is on the East Coast. So I'm thinking Northeast. So they are in North Front. Metropolis is somewhere in the Northeast. And if they're in Texas, they're in the lower Southwestern part of Texas, probably up there near the Mexican Arizona border up there or Oklahoma border. Yeah, but you you can also say uh, Craig muffed the mileage. Yeah, right, right. So you can no prize that one away. Yeah, you could. But okay, I'll go along with the Texas. I'll give you the Texas thing because they did say Dallas there, which is pretty cool that they mentioned real places. And Texas is kind of an oil state. Very much so. so yeah. It's yeah, not so it all works. The, but it, out of the realm of possibility to believe it's there. Right. All right. And so Texas now Superman has this kind of reputation deserved or not. Yeah. Yeah. It does have the reputation. All right. So, so anyway, now they, they have shot one of the guys. Right. And yeah, he has but fallen. before that, uh, has Benson opened himself up some, to some an attempted murder charge? By shooting Superman? Yeah. Uh, that's always a good question. And that's something that, that I have talked about in the past. Does anybody, and I think they actually mentioned that in one episode where Superman came in and was trying to stop another guy from shooting who uh, was a good guy. And he said, you haven't done anything wrong yet. But you shoot that gun, it's an attempted murder charge. So maybe, but is it attempted murder? I would think in Luke Benson's mind, yes, because he doesn't know he can't kill Superman by shooting him. But if you've heard he's indestructible and you're just testing it, maybe that wouldn't be attempted murder. But I almost think anytime you shoot at another uh, living creature with a gun with the intent to do harm, that's... Pretty much yeah. intentional murder, unless it's for self-defense purposes of some kind. And he's intending to do harm here. And he was definitely wanted to get rid of Superman. Yes. Yeah. So in this case, you could probably make a case for it that, it, yes, it's attempted murder. Can't be murder unless you kill him and you can't kill him. So, But I think that's where that it gets a little weird because you would have to go to the mind of the, of the shooter. If he doesn't know Superman is invulnerable, yes, that's attempted murder. He's trying to kill that other living creature. Right. Well, meanwhile, all this really does is distract Superman long enough for Weber to shoot one of the moment off the dam with old Betsy. (laughs) With old Betsy, right. And And that uh, scream. Great scream. Great scream. Animal-like, but painful. It was a terrific scream. And to a little kid watching it, it would just scare the bejeebies out of you a little kid. I would see as a little kid, I'll bet a little kid watching this movie would just be sitting on the edge of the seat the entire time, chewing fingernails and just, ooh, what's happening next? And this is where we get the animated flying Superman. Right. But unlike the other, the Kirk Allen ones, it's really quick. And they, they, they cut from the live action to a brief half a second and then when he catches them, they switch again to a, a live action catching a dummy right. and then back. So there's a still, I've seen a frozen frame of that yeah, frame yeah. somewhere. And you can actually even see the wire hanging off of the back of the mole man that he's catching him with. So there's wires everywhere. Yeah. And what happens next, I always find amusing is he lands, tells the mole man he has to get into the hospital and walks off. And walks off instead of flying or yeah, like, I, I agree. I thought of that too. I think. Well, why didn't you just fly him yeah. there? But yeah, we needed to. We needed to have that piece of dialogue. Yeah, we, we, we needed. We, we needed up the plot dump. 
Yeah, you needed to tell us what you're going to do with him now. Which brings us to another really good, here we go, to another average guy, probably a nice guy, professional man who is showing fear and bigotry. Yes. The head of the entire hospital. That man in the costume. Superman. Well, he had no right to bring that, that monstrosity in here. And you, Dr. Reed, had no right to admit it without my authorization. I'm sorry, sir, you but... You can't blame Dr. Reed. It was an emergency. Young man... I'm running this hospital. Get that thing out of here immediately. It's been shot. It, it might even be dying. You wouldn't treat a dog that way. This is not a dog hospital. Well, I'm leaving now, but I'll be back in the morning. Don't let me find that thing in here or there'll be trouble. A milk of human kindness. But really, it isn't human. But how do we know? That's just right. How do we know? Uh, and we see. And the nurse, too. And the nurse, who says, I'm not going in there. And Clark Kent, without missing a beat, says, I'll assist, let's go. And the doctor, without missing a beat, says, okay, great, reporter, come on. <laughs> Did you could say that this is a young, do a young doctor who, can't, maybe in his first few years? Yeah, probably probably a young, a young doctor moving up with lots of responsibility and moving up, but not in a real position of power at the hospital. Right. Yeah. But still, you're a doctor. you're going to no staff. You're going to tell a reporter, I need someone to assist. And yeah, come so on, come on in. Was, you, you have no qualifications. Come on in. Yeah. So it's just the two of you are going to go in there with no anesthesiologist or no, none of the other dozens of people you need in a major surgery like this to pull a bullet out of somebody's chest. But hey, roll with it. We well, got it. You know we what? A town this small doesn't have a hospital. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, I love that scene. I loved everything about this scene and this and, and the follow-up to it when he comes out and then Lois shows up. I'm doing some work in brain capacity and I'll wager that... Clark, where have you been? And what are you doing in that outfit? Oh, hello, Lois. This is Dr. Reed. Miss Lane, how do you do, Miss Lane? Do you know what happened? They shot one of those little monsters. Dr. Reed just removed the bullet from his chest. He's in there. In there? Mm-hmm. I brought... That is, uh, Superman brought it to the hospital. Well, then you know about Superman. If I don't, who should? I've got to check the ward now, Mr. Kent. I'll keep an eye on it, unless I get fired. You won't, I'm sure. Glad to meet you, Miss Lane. Just, just terrific, terrific scene. And uh, but you can almost see him getting away with it there with that little fumble of saying I or I mean uh, Superman brought him in because there was so much commotion and everybody's still all excited and nervous and fearful of what's going on. And you mean he's in there now? Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff going on at the time. So she may have. That's one of those things that in the car or on the plane on the flight back to Metropolis, she might go. By the way, what did you mean when you said I? You know, one of those kind of things. Well, she kind of did take him to task right after that. There goes a young man with courage. Well, I wish I could say the same for you. You know, Lois, one of these fine days... One of these fine days what? Never mind. Come on, I've got to find Corrigan. You always do that. Start to say something, then abruptly change your mind. I do? What are you afraid of? What are you hiding? Hiding? Well, you give the impression you're leading a, a, a double life. Really? Yes, and I'm not the only one who thinks so. So, I'm not sure what he was trying to accomplish there, but... No, but, you know, periodically, he's probably just getting tired of her saying, you know, calling him stuff. But, you know, that's part of the gig, buddy. You know, right. that's and part it was, of it. Was it. A, there was a great line in... It was one of the comics. Right after Infinite Crisis, Jeff Johns did the uh, Up, Up, and Away story because they're showing Superman's internal dialogue, and he's saying that he hates all the things that people say about him. He hears all that. Right. And in order for him to be Superman, 
he has to be able to go away and people say, well, that's Clark for you. Right. And he hates that, but he knows in order for him to be Superman, it has to be that way. Right. I like it when in the comics and in other places, and they've done this in the series, they do this periodically in the series with Noel Neal in the later series. Sometimes they'll balance it with he's not running away because he's afraid. Right. He's running to get the story filed before her. Right. And I kind of like it when they do that sometimes where it's a logical move for him to try to get to a phone or back to the office before her when in fact all he's really doing is changing to Superman to take care of things. But then he gets back to the office and is typing the story up before she gets back. So uh, I love it when they play with that kind of stuff. And again, I don't want to just keep downing the new 52, but that was really missing. missing. In the new 52 was all of that inner office interaction character building stuff that we just missed. So, uh, I, and this particular movie has just buckets of it. The, the, the relationship between Lois and Clark is just perfect in this movie. Okay. So now they're in the hospital. Well, he well, is we'll backtrack uh, a little bit. We, we skipped the chase. Oh, oh, we did. Didn't we? Yeah. We did. We skipped the chase of them burning the shed down. Yeah. Yeah, so they because just, then Luke, after he burns the shed down, goes to brag to the sheriff right. about uh, how he's got rid of both of them. Yeah, I've he got shot a, one. I've got burned the other one. I've got a few things to say about the sheriff. We'll we'll wait till we get there though. The, uh, but we can talk to the sheriff now because do you have a, the cast names in front of you? Uh, hold on, I can go grab it. Uh, because that sheriff, Stanley uh, Andrews, very famous man. For those of us who are old enough to remember, there used to be back in the 50s when Westerns were all the, the thing where every network had three or four Westerns and they were on in prime time. They were on in daytime. They were on all the time. Westerns were everywhere. One of them was called the 20 Mule Team Borax. It was sponsored the show was called something blah, blah, blah. It was called 20 Mule Team, I think sponsored by borax which was a soap detergent back in the day and he was the host of it later either because he died or got sick or something ronald reagan took over that show and became the host of the 20 mule team borax show and all it was was he was the uh, host he would come like a modern day almost like disney used to do where you'd see walt in his study and he'd be pull out a book and he would say in 1843 when we were just, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he would talk about a story and then it would fade to that story and you right. would see whatever the show was about that week. So the guy who plays the sheriff in Molmen was a very famous Western actor and spokesperson in the 50s. Walter Cronkite was the most trusted newsman in television. Right. That guy right there that played this sheriff was the most trusted sheriff, actor, TV spokesman guy of salesman of that time. If you wanted somebody that America would trust, if you said, buy my product, it was that guy right there. And he looked like a Western sheriff. Yes. And he acted like him in this. But that voice is so distinct. Yes, it is. You know, the first words out of his mouth when he shows up early in this movie at the the shack, Pop's death. The first word out of his mouth, I went, oh, 20 mil team Borax guy. Right. So just a terrific actor. What's his name in real life? Stan, Stanley Andrews. Stanley Andrews. 
But, Great actor. But what an uh, ineffectual sheriff. Oh, he was a terrible sheriff in this. <laughs> he was terrible. Uh, yeah, because he just let everybody run wild with him. This, uh, well, actually, he does say in that scene before Benson shows up. Well, get back to me as soon as you can, will you? I'm much obliged. Line's busy. If you don't mind my saying so, Sheriff, I think you're making a big mistake calling the state police in on this. Take it from an old publicity man. The less said about this kind of thing, the better. He's right, Sheriff. Well, maybe he is, but I gotta keep those dang fools from going hog wild and shooting up this town. And all I got to do it with is me and Jim here. The rest of my boys are running with that crazy new Benson. You've got Superman. If he can't stop them, nobody can. Now, what's he doing up at the hospital fussing with a critter that got shot? Is that where he is? No, Kent's at the hospital. I don't know where Superman is. There, you see. He ain't doing us no good. He so. They did make it clear that it's basically as far as order in the town. And again, it's a small town. It's Mayberry. Right. You need a sheriff and a deputy. And if anything big happens, you deputize some of the other guys in town. And apparently what has happened, Luke got all of his other guys. Right. So this sheriff has one guy. It's him and one other guy. So right. they don't have a lot of firepower to help them. And even when he did at this point, then walk up to Luke to try to say, all right, Luke, I'm taking you in. Luke just cold cocks him. Yeah. Nope, you're not. Drag him off, guys. Before he goes, Luke goes to the sheriff's office, He chased, they chased that mole man into the shed. Yeah, great hey, scene. Wasn't that it? A, the chase suffered a lot in the TV cut. A huge man. They cut a lot of the chase out. And, it, and the TV cut took out my, fa my favorite part of the chase is when he comes up with that guy who's camping. Yes, <laughs> that's not in the TV show no. at all. None of that. He's drinking and then he just spilled everything all over himself. And this is where we start to see that the mole men have some intelligence. Yeah. They don't speak, but when he's in the shed, and you can tell before he gets to the shed that this chase is taking something out of him. It's, he's he's exhausted. Because he falls onto, onto that little patch of grass there, and you can see he's sweating. and He's sweating, he's breathing, breathing hard. And that's why they cut out that whole scene with the, what I got the impression was kind of a bum or a tramp because he looked like his belt was a rope right. and his hat had a hole in it. So probably a drifter kind of guy at a little campsite outside of town. Again, a guy you'd see in a Western. A guy you would see in a Western or a period piece of the time who is getting ready to jump on another train, right. you know, in a boxcar or something. And here he is, a little campsite and whatever and i thought this was after he gets scared and runs away then the moment and none of this is in the tv show no. he takes a little drink moment, out of the uh out of the it, pot exactly so he runs down there after the guy runs and he picks up the the pot or whatever that had water i'm assuming in it and the mole man takes a quick drink of that and then here come the guys and he has to run off again yeah. to get away from them and that entire scene is cut yeah from the tv version and both the mole men uh, I mean, the unknown people originally, and of course for the Me TV where they cut it, but they cut that entirely for the unknown people, which just surprised me entirely. And that's but, what you, you get know. for that for the moment. You get the best character. Yes. All they all they're doing is run, but this is the first time that you see one of them emoting and thinking, yes, and plotting and figuring out. What do I do next? Where do I go? I'm not just running haphazardly. I'm planning stuff. I hide here. They run by me. I get up. I double back. I go over here. So the and moment, you see that in the shed. Yes. He's touching you see everything, it in trying to figure everything out. Yes. Uh, there was that funny scene where, uh, and it's not really funny, but it's something that happened to me once, actually. Not that I was surrounded in a shed by fire, 
but trying to lift up a plank and you're actually standing or sitting on right. one end of it. So you, you're trying to pick it up, but you can't because you're sitting on it. Right. Uh, and that was pretty funny. And then he realizes and gets out and crawls away and saves himself. So then a Luke shows up at the sheriff's office. And he bragging. finds his way back to the well. Oh, that. Oh, so he yeah. knew where he was. He knew. He knew exactly where he was. Goes back to the well to, you know, bring back reinforcements. And a vacuum cleaner. And a vacuum cleaner, <laughs> uh, which is exactly what it was. Yeah. I could, and, even before I read that, I could tell it looked like a vacuum cleaner. Right, right. Okay. You know, but considering what they did, I think they did a good job with, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a disjointed something there. If you're asking us to believe that those aren't clothes that the mole men are wearing, but that's just their furry bodies and they're acting kind of not real bright, but we do see some intelligence and we see them being thoughtful. Right. We see them communicating with each other, not with words, but they knew what each other were doing with each other and right. stuff. And they did some hand signs later, but they have the technology to build this, this ray gun. Right. They do thinking that's something I need to know more about. Yeah. I want to see now the city that they live in. I want to see, you know, in modern times now that would be, you know, another movie. Yeah. That would be, you know, beneath the mole men or something. They would have they would have done a follow-up. Let's go down there and uh somehow Lois and Jimmy fall down the well or decide they want to go investigate. If this were today, you would have seen the day before. Right. Like you would have right. seen Benson at home. Right. You know, or you know or right. bullying some guy to fix his car or something. Right. And if it were a comic book, this one story would have taken you all year to tell. Oh yeah. So, but, but I think they crammed a lot into this little over an hour. They did. And so right now we're at the point where uh, we've got one of them is now in the hospital. Right. And now we're at the sheriff's office. This is when we come to the sheriff's office. Right. And the other one has gone back now uh, to go down into the tube to yeah. come back. And we'll see tube. him in a second. He's still in there at this point. Right. So. And uh, Luke has now gone to the sheriff's office Be to before brag. that, talk about what Mr. Craig's actions here. As kind of the PR hack for the oil company. What'd you think yeah. of him? Not bad character. I think it was pretty funny at the beginning, right. you know, being, he does what he is, what he's supposed to do. And I think he hits the right beats at the right time. But even he agrees that, you know, we can't tell certain of these stories right. and stuff. But, but um, he, convinced, he convinces the sheriff to not call in the state police. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. You're right. That was Craig, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And he's kind of selling the sheriff on it. On the on the idea of the bad publicity. No, on the idea of how good publicity he'll get. Well, how good publicity would be for you as a sheriff if you uh, solved this yourself. Right. Uh, it would be how bad it would be if you call the state police in and then, you know, it gets out of hand and then they would say, what, you mean you couldn't handle it yourself? Right. How weak are you? I mean, he's. He's trying to spin this because obviously this is going to look bad for the oil company, but he's putting that above public safety. Right. Well, I do think it was kind of interesting, too, that they do it that way. And in fact, even adding this scene as if maybe a viewer from the time period would say, would ask, why isn't this local, why isn't Andy Griffith calling in the state when he realizes he's got a problem bigger than he can handle? And he so they kind of put this scene in to give us a reason that we can not even ask that question. And he should be absolutely be calling in the state police. Yeah, you got people coming up from the center of the earth. Yeah, I'd be probably. And you, and you got townspeople running around with guns. <laughs> yeah. So 
And this uh, scene, and that was completely cut out of the of the TV version. Yeah, and that just blows me away because those are important scenes. It starts in the TV version. The this scene starts with Benson coming in, right, bragging about what he's what he's done. Right. We don't even see the setup from the sheriff and Craig talking at all. No. So, but, uh, and, and we also lose this gem of a line that Craig is telling him, "Well, Superman's here. If he can't deal with it, nobody can." The sheriff is upset that Superman is at the hospital, and Corey just drops this in. Like, nah, Ken's at the hospital. I don't know where Superman is. Mm. Like, why would he think to mention Kent was there and Superman was gone? Yeah, good point. To let us know. That's, again, another expositional thing that, you know, Superman brought the little creature into the hospital and then flew off to the what he had to do. Kent's over there now. And Why uh, even become Clark again? Well, that's a, that's another good question. That's another good question. But at this time period, that happened a lot. I know. Where Superman would come in, do what he had to do, fly off, and then from the other corner, Clark would be straightening his tie. Right. And they did that a lot. So they really wanted Clark to be the driving force and Superman to be the solution. Right. And and I think they, again, they do it well here. I didn't, you know, it, it didn't pull me out of it at all to see him going back and forth between Superman yeah. and Clark. The only problem. The only, except for that one time where Clark goes running into the hospital and like 30 seconds later, Superman walks out. And, it, you know, it's also easier to buy Superman helping out with the uh, operation than it is Clark. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, in these days, that was Clark. Clark yeah. was the no hold. He wasn't the runaway scaredy cat. He's going to, you know, do those kinds of things that he was a normal, you know, man's man, a guy, guy. No, he definitely was. So, um... Where are we? So now we're at the hospital yep. and they take there? another shot and almost hit Lois. Oh no, we're not at the hospital yet. We've got the mob at the hospital at the hotel. Well, first off, I want to mention the uh Benson a little bit at the sheriff's office. The oh, minute right. the sheriff disagrees, he pulls a gun on the sheriff. Really? You know, that, yeah, that was very surprising because he caught them all because the sheriff told him, he said, no, Benson, you can't, I ain't going to let you do that. And he tells his deputy, lock him up. And then Benson pulls his gun and then gets away with just, you know. It's like the deputy doesn't pull his gun. We didn't want to have a shootout. So, yeah, I don't know how that would have happened in modern times where if a guy had pulled a gun on a cop, would another cop in the same office pull a gun and shoot him? Yeah, they'd probably well, be at shooting. Well, at the very least, he'd pull his gun. Right. Um, and, then, and then at least at least force a standoff. But this, they didn't do it. So, you know, Benson basically says, I'm going to go take care of these yeah. things myself. And then, and then he runs down and gets himself punched out and he throws the sheriff in the, in the jail. And I think that's the last time we see the sheriff. <laughs> that is the last time that, yeah, getting punched out and the other guy's dragging him away. Yeah, he's go- he doesn't make an appearance back at the end. He's not one of the four. That's Corrigan, Craig, Lois, and Superman yeah. at the very end. Maybe while he's in jail, he'll contemplate retirement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think he can come back from this. Uh, no, no. So so then um, now we're back at the hospital. Okay, now we're now in the hospital. They've they've finished the surgery. I'm trying to think now, we've done that. I like the doctor's that. comment that he was doing work on brain capacity. Yes. Really? In Dumpwater, Texas? Yeah. And and the way he said that, I wanted to think, you mean 
how? You mean like a dissection, an autopsy? How do you want to study this brain? You made it sound like now you're just treating him like some sort of lower class animal that you can study. Yeah, that sounded a little weird too. He was a little too enthusiastic about this. A little bit, a little bit. But but th- but that kind of worked out. So I was, I was glad to see that. And God, what, what was his next thing that? The next thing is Clark oh. flubbing his secret identity again. <laughs> well, we, we already went over the conversation after she comes off with the apron. But right, right. When, they, when they go outside, he sees Craig and Corrigan running up the street. Oh, right. And then and in he's... the next shot, you see them running around the corner. Right. So there's no so, way he could have seen them without no. x-ray vision. Without x-ray vision. He, uh, no prize would have been I heard them. I have pretty good hearing. I heard them running. They, they seem pretty far down the block. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. Nobody was there. Yeah. We'll give him. We'll give him that. But I love it when they do little stuff like that. Yeah. The show that he's using superpowers. You know, done that. He did that in in the series several times in Police Commissioner Gordon, not Police Commissioner, right. <laughs> in Inspector Henderson's office when he knew who was on the phone, or he'd do it in his own office hearing Lois or right. something. So I like that when they do little little quick things like that. So now the other moment, are we at the thing where the two other guys now come back with the weapon? Not yet. We still have the mob scene in front of the hospital. And that did take place. That takes place right, right here. Right here. Because okay, Corrigan and Craig are, are running to the hospital to get ahead of them. Right. Right. This is where, right. This is where he takes the guns away. Where again he is trying to reason with them. Is this when he gives them one last chance to stop acting like Nazi stormtroopers? Yes. Yeah. And then they shoot him. Right. And he knocks that. He takes that gun away from from Benson right then, pushes him back, and then... I love the smile on Superman's face when Benson's shooting at him. Yeah, so do I. That's a great scene. And then he tells Lois to get back inside and stay away from the window. And then he just walks, because you can't handle I'm going to take them from you. Right. And that's when it cuts and fades away as he's walking through the crowd, fighting and just taking all their guns away. he's throwing people around. He picks up one guy and throws him at another. And he just throws him. That's golden age Superman all the way right there. So he's having a good time. And and then I guess at that point is when we cut back and we see now. This is when they start coming out. The three different moments. So two that we've seen before. No. The one one that we've seen seen before. Yeah, so now we see two new guys come out, and they've got a weapon. So we've got a total of four mole men, one in the hospital, three, three coming with the weapon. And before and, the before he takes the guns away, one thing I want to get back to, yeah. that I love the line where he reminds them that, in a way, this is kind of their fault. They're digging for oil, and they invaded his world right. by going so far into the ground. Right. And... There's a lot of money in oil, so it wouldn't shock me if this town is dependent on the oil business. Oh, that's that's totally what it's all about. And and again, that's something else they are they are uh it's one of the levels they're telling us in this movie that bigotry is bad yeah. and greed for money at the sake of other humans is also bad. Right. And and this is another way they're telling us that. And then we have several people who realize that something is wrong. We have invaded someone else's territory. And Whether we meant to or not. Exactly. We did. And once that realization comes to Corrigan, not only because he's afraid of the radioactive possibilities, but he also knows when the mole men come up what's happened. Right. We invaded them and have given them a way to come up here. So it's our fault, not theirs. Right. 
And it's how we are going to decide to react to them in our world. And most of the people in this town are afraid and they act with fear by wanting to destroy them, that which scares them. Right. Clark and Superman. Exactly. Clark, Superman, the sheriff, Corrigan are saying, you know, the doctor, the young doctor, hold up. These, they're a lot more like us than they're not. So. And Superman says, says it exactly. Now I'm going to give you one last chance to stop acting like Nazi stormtroopers. Who are you to tell us what to do? All I'm telling you is that that little creature in there has as much right to live as you do. Don't forget, you invaded his world. You sank a pipe six miles into the ground. And when he climbed up, you set dogs on him, shot him. As you do. Exactly. So just just really, really good. Now, as we come to this next scene where as the mole men now have their weapon and they're coming towards the town, I'm not quite sure how they set this scene up. And there wasn't anything to, to, to begin it. As they get closer to the town and now Superman is just kind of walking. He's kind of just hanging around outside the hospital. He's just kind of just hanging around outside the hospital when the mole men approach him and he talks to them and bends over and, the, and we've seen I these stills. like he was guarding the hospital. It could be. Could be. It's a good no prize. I'll take that. And he sees the mole men, these three men, the three mole men coming at him with the weapon and he walks towards them and these are now famous stills. We see these stills right. all the time. Him bending over to talk to them. And this is then, the first time anyone tries to talk to them. And this is the first time in any any way, in any way, except from the little girl. Right. And then, so, so Superman is trying to do it. Exactly. So he's talking and telling them and he finally realizes because they, one of them points to the other two guys and with the hand signals, you know, acts out the whole thing and lets the other two know this is the guy that saved our other guy. And so Superman at that point says, stay here, wait. And he runs into the hospital. But he tells, he reiterates, don't be afraid. Right. Don't be afraid. No one. And when he said that no one wants to harm you, I'm thinking, well, maybe you don't, but the whole town does Superman. So that's not exactly accurate. But so anyway, Superman goes back into the, you know, that's part of Superman not wanting to believe that anybody anybody wants to harm them. Exactly. Exactly. He wants to believe that. I don't know if this is just me, us projecting, but he (laughs) wants to believe that they don't mean the creatures any harm and that they're frightened. Defending They're themselves. just afraid too, right? He's putting the best spin he can. They're right. just afraid. So, and it's just a really, really good scene. And then Superman goes back into the hospital and the people that are waiting for him, he explains to the doctor and Lois right. uh, what's going on. They want the wounded one. Well, how do you know they can't talk, can they? One of them made motions. That's right. He pointed to me and held out his arms. I took it to mean they knew I was the one that caught their little friend when he was shot off the dam. Good heaven. Well, what was that shiny thing they pointed at you? A weapon of some kind, probably a very dangerous one. I better get your patient before they decide to use it. He shouldn't be moved this soon. I'm afraid he'll have to be. If we turn him over to them and don't harm them or frighten them, they'll take him and go back where they came from, and that'll be the end of it. The doctor goes in and gets the injured one, but in the meantime, and here is a funny scene too. Luke Benson, the other guy, one of the other guys, uh, was it the guy with the dogs that had the dogs originally? Now, I, I forgot which. You know, the thing about the guy with the dogs is mm. they were Luke's dogs. How come yeah, they were Luke's always controlling them? But the other guy was the one who controlled them all. The maybe time, that guy, right? maybe that other actor was the animal trainer. Yeah, but it, one of the other characters, actors, sees the mole men coming. The old uh, the older Weber. guy. Okay, sees the mole men coming towards the hospital, and he runs back and tells Luke that they're at the hospital now. So Luke takes somebody else's gun. 
and says, keep them here because the rest of the mob wants to go too. And this right. is one of the funnier scenes, I think, not intentionally funny, but Luke tells the other guy that just showed him, told him that the mole men were at the hospital. He tells this guy now, keep okay, keep back. the guys here. You guys stay back. Keep them all back. And that guy kind of holds his arms out. Yeah. <laughs> as everybody else is kind of dancing around as if that one guy could stop that mob from no, coming down. They just right. run him over. So they show that really quickly, a kind of a funny scene of him keeping the mob back as Luke takes the gun and goes through the alleys to get to the uh, mole men. And once he gets over to them, raises his gun, points it at them, and the mole men turn quickly. They turned because they heard him cock it. They heard Benson cock the gun. So Benson was going to take the first shot. In self-defense, the mole men turn and use their weapon on Luke. Right. Superman, bringing the other injured mole man out, sees what's going on, hands the little mole men to the other guy, yeah. to the other mole men, and, stand there and jumps in front of the weapon, protecting Luke Benson's and saving Benson's life, and then telling the mole men, you know, go. It's, it's over now. Go back where you came from. Everything is fine. Go away. And this is the great scene where Luke Benson comes up and says, You saved my life. That's more than you deserve. And picks up the injured mole man and walks with the other three and takes them back to the well. What do you think Benson was going to say there before Superman walked off? I think he was just going to try to humble himself and apologize and say, I was wrong and I really, but Superman had no more patience for him. Right. I think that was a perfect thing because this guy was a jerk throughout the entire thing. Not one time did Luke Benson, and even if you add the, the, the sentence where he was trying to justify it because he thought the mole men were after the children, Right. even then he was totally wrong in his reaction and he was using that as an excuse. Oh, absolutely for his bigotry to go shoot something. And so Superman standing in a traditional classic hands on the hips, Superman. George Reeves pose. loves that pose. And a great pose. And at that moment, the stern look on his face, the way the light was coming from one side, it put Luke in the shadows, the brightness on Superman and Superman saying that's more than you deserve. It was just just so good. And then as Superman goes and picks up the injured one and they walk off and he helps them I think in. That's the moment where Benson realizes, you know what? I've been acting like an ass for this whole thing. Yes. Yes. And again, good acting. The actor that played Benson, you actually see a body language change yeah. right there. His everything about him changed. He pulled his pants up. He slumped a little bit. He realized Superman is right. I've been a real jerk this entire time. And, and he realized but, it because no matter what he did, Superman still saved him. Exactly. Exactly. And Superman could have easily let him die because he deserved it. And it could have created all kinds of problems, but Superman did the right thing. You save the life, even of the bad guy. And this time the bad guy learned the lesson. He did. And, and in fact, I, that might be Superman's last words. No. Wait a minute. When they get to the well, when it's exploding and quick, blowing get, up. Quick, get back. Ah, right. When right. He, right. And then they all move. And then Lois gives her wonderful little, I think they're trying to tell us. Right. You live yours and we'll live ours. Do you think that scene might have been a little bit more effective if Benson was in that shot too? Interesting. That maybe if he was back there realizing it as she said. Yeah. That, 
Even if he'd just been standing behind right. them he didn't have to in do, the scene. Like, because he's the kind of guy where I could have seen him yeah. as they as Superman walked, followed the crowd. Right. Right. You're right. Well, there was one thing that I was glad about. I think that's an interesting point, and I, and I love that. And I hadn't thought of that, to put Benson in that very final scene to, to bring that back. That's, that's a terrific point. Something I was glad they did for that. Superman walked with the little creatures back to the... Yeah, the, well. the well and i'm thinking that had to have taken some time so now if they just show everybody there how did they all get there so fast whatever so i was really glad to see that they did a quick cut as superman is helping them down into the right. back into the well the car drives up and it's got craig and lois and corrigan in it for them to get to the well at that at the end. Right. So in that way, I guess that would have been a little awkward for them to ask Luke to come on and join them. Yeah, so, but I never got the impression Superman was walking that fast. Yeah, I don't think so either. And Benson was right behind him. Right. So I guess he could have. It might have, it might have, it might have taken the rest of the crew a little bit longer to come out of the hospital and get the car and all that. Right. But it would and have, I believe it, Corrigan was getting checked out because he took a shot in the jar or something. Oh, right. Right. Superman so, asks, uh, asks him about it right when, the, when he shows up. Well, which I believe is the first time. No, no, the first time was before. I was trying to figure out when the first time anybody, Superman talked to Corrigan was, but that was at the uh, girl's window. Yeah, right, right. When Lois introduced him. Right. Uh, but just terrific. The thing holds up so well as a story. It's shot well. Again, getting over the, the low budget effects, there aren't many. A couple of flying scenes, a couple of fun takeoffs on the wire, one really fun soft landing from the wire, some bullets bouncing off, gunshots, Superman, golden age Superman throwing people around, taking their guns and bending them. It had everything. It, it, just, it just had everything. I just cannot imagine someone in 1951 think watching this thing on the big screen and then going, no, that was dumb. I don't think I want to see any more of this. Uh, I just think you would have had to come out of this thing just just, just feeling, well, similar to, I think, what I felt last night, feeling just, wow, what a fun movie this was. It's so Superman. There's Everything about this is so good. All right, so let's take another quick break, and we'll come back with some uh, final thoughts. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... And, uh, you, you know what? I, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Baileytude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailey2.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or 
www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. All right, welcome back, folks. And you you mentioned some. You just mentioned some of your uh, some of your thoughts on the film uh, just a minute ago. Just how would you sum up sum up this movie? I would sum it up, and 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 in, and in this way, I know it's going to be a little bit you know um, over the top, but this is one of my three favorite Superman movies of all time. I would stack this sucker up with with any of them. Any, any Superman movie ever, any time. It has everything that you want to see in a Superman movie. You're seeing a good story that has both political and social, political and social implications and moral, morality going on. It's got the best Clark Kent you will ever hope to see. A gorgeous Superman and Lois Lane with great chemistry and a story that could be rewritten and told today. You could do this exact story today. Update it, modernize it, better effects, but the story of bigotry and racism works as well today as it did then. And then they were using the mole men to represent communism, Racism that was going on big time in the United States. The civil rights movement hadn't really even started seriously yet. And the communist. So you're fighting all of those things. World War II, the racism here at home, and the the fear of the communist of the next war. Right. All of it. Putting your fears in these little men coming up from the center of the earth. Just, just beautiful. Great acting from professionals who took it seriously. And a pilot that says, hey, if you like this, we can give you some more. (laughs) I would have been there going, more please. (laughs) Yes, more. One of the things I... I don't think it gets better than this. What do you think? Well, one of the things I've always liked about science fiction is it can point out those. Like the mole men stand in as... Can stand in as anything we're afraid of. Whether it's 1950s, communism, or in this case, terrorism. It stands in for anything we're afraid of. Well, I love that this film, which is, doing the math here, 65 years old, mm-hmm. is still relevant today. Absolutely. And I, I love that we can get to see a Superman that stands up for social justice like he did in the in the Golden Age. I'm not saying right. he has to advance anybody's agenda. He just standing up for what's right. And what's wrong is bigotry. Everything that happened in this movie came from a lack of understanding. And one of the things we need to work on, and sometimes I really feel as though we're kind of going backwards on this, is that we need to understand each other better. And in all the rhetoric today, it just, it seems like that's getting lost. I agree 100%. It, if you were to look at national stuff happening today, and not only in our country, we're seeing it in Australia now with their elections. We right. saw it last month with the elections that were happening in the in the UK, for crying out loud. London, for the first time in its history, has elected a Muslim mayor right. of London. So these things are still happening today. The names have changed. Maybe the race has changed. Maybe it's, you know, we're afraid now of this religion or this person coming from this country instead of that country. But the fear is still there. And this story is as relevant today. And unfortunately, 
we're still there. Right. And that's why this this show stands up for those things. And Superman has stood up for those things. I mentioned this last time when we talked that the radio show had a lot to do with helping to, to end the Ku Klux Klan right. popularity. So, you know, Superman has always stood for doing the right thing. And it was after this movie. You notice in the beginning of this movie, they didn't say truth, justice in the American way. No, they didn't. It was after this that the American way was added. And I want to tell you, when I was a kid, when somebody said that truth, justice in the American way, there was no doubt in my mind what the American way meant. It meant doing the right thing for the right reasons because it's the right thing to do. And it wasn't a message of this is our way and it's better. No, no. And that even helped me in later 60s when my high school, uh, when the civil rights movement started and our high school started to become integrated. And for the first time, we have black people in our school. Oh, no. And I actually saw friends of mine friends of mine that I had known since elementary school saying some of the worst things you can possibly imagine. And even then I would say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? No, you're, you're crazy. And when I became drum major in the band, it was part of Superman that I took with me when I was leading the group. I didn't put the black guys over there and the white guys over there and the Mexican guys back there or whatever. You were part of my band, you know? You treat people with respect, and hopefully you'll get that respect back. So Superman has always been that, and this movie in summation has that in spades. Everything that we like about the myth of Superman, the heroic parts of Superman, are all present right here in this little over an hour movie with both Clark Kent and Superman, the themes that they touch— and the way they tell the story, it's just, it's just beautiful. Everyone should sit their kids down in front of this movie and watch it with them and talk to them about it. Right. It's, it's, it just doesn't get really any better. You can spend $100 million making a movie. And yes, it'll have much better special effects and all the other modern stuff. But will the guts and the core of the movie be any better than this? No, I don't think so. This is just... A really, really, really fun, good, poignant film. It's a good Superman right. movie. Could you make a film like this today? With this kind of, without, without everybody's afraid of offending everybody else. Yeah, I think you could still do this today. I think there are some people, uh, I watch a lot of TV shows and right. sit, no, I don't watch many sitcoms anymore. I haven't watched sitcoms in a long time, right. but I like police, what do they call procedurals right. and, you know, criminal intent and criminal minds. And, you know, there are a lot of other shows, but some of them are doing it now. Some of them are touching on, you know, some of these politically correct things, you know, and I see some, some, some people you know, all down on political correctness, thinking, well, we can't say or do anything anymore. 
And in some ways, I'll agree with you, political correctness has gone maybe a little too far in some areas here or there. But the core of the idea was basically right from your so-called Christian scripture, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you are nice to people, not calling people names, derogatory names, making fun of them, ostracizing them, putting them in other categories because you're afraid of them or they're not like you, is wrong. And Superman has been saying that. The Bible has been saying that. Things have been saying that for so many years. How can you possibly say that you agree with this, you love this, but then say the disgusting things that you say about other humans? I can't do it. So that's what this particular show meant to me. And I was so glad you mentioned this, that you were going to do this. And I kind of horned my way into talking on this because, again, this is literally one of my favorite little movies of all time, in spite of the bad effects and the costume that doesn't quite fit right and et cetera, et cetera. Because the story is well told by actors who are giving their all about a theme that is as relevant today as it's ever been. Yeah. It's just perfect. And as far as the suit that doesn't fit right, you know, you just take a note of it, you, you look at it, you see it, and like, okay, but you move right on. Yeah, you just you move on. You don't linger on. on it. Yeah, you don't linger on it. You just move on. Because he looks so good. He is Superman. And he is Clark Kent. And I think if he anybody watches- He commands every scene that he's in. Doesn't he? And don't you see the difference watching this moment between Clark Kent and Superman? I saw two different guys there. Oh, yeah. You know, they're they're kind of subtle. And because we know it's the same right. actor, you bring a lot of using, well, uh, but imagine you don't know they're the same actor. You see two different characters Clark there. Clark is a little softer, a little more, a little friendlier. Yes. Superman, Superman is, is all business. He's all business. If I've got the costume on, that means somebody needs my help and I'm here to be serious about it. That doesn't mean he isn't soft and smile when necessary. Right. But when he's being Superman, he's being Superman. But I I love George Reeves' portrayal and I would not be a Superman fan today. I, I really believe this. I don't think I would be a Superman fan today had this not been part of my very early childhood. Had I not found George Reeves early, you know, before I could read, practically before I could talk, I was watching these Superman shows. I don't think I'd be a Superman fan today because I didn't take that first comic my cousin gave me from that trunk in to have my mother read it because I thought, wow, this is really cool. And I've never seen it before. I took it in for her to read it to me because it was Superman. Right. And because I knew Superman from George Reeves. And In those early comics, even Kurt Swan's early work, he would do some profile pictures, drawings, and it looked like George Reeves. And occasionally you'd see in a panel, it looked like George Reeves, and you just get a little tingly and go, ooh, (laughs) ooh. So so I want to thank you for inviting me and letting me horn in on this because I love talking about George Reeves and this series. Well, like I told you, I'm happy you agreed to come on, and you, sir, have an open invitation anytime you want to come on and. And talk this show. Like I said, I'll be talking about it for the next year. So wonderful. Well, I'm sure I'll be back for a couple of them. Right. <laughs> All right. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? Well, you can find me at the Superman Forever radio podcast. That's my main podcast. It's at supermanforever.com. That's the easy way, supermanforever.com. I'm also on Facebook, actually, Bob Fisher. I'm not, I don't have a lot of multiple Facebook things, it's just me. 
So we have some good conversations there, Superman conversations there on Facebook. So you can find me there. But my Superman podcast is Superman Forever Radio. And I also do the Giant Superman podcast with John M. Wilson. That's a new one. We're doing a monthly look at all of the 80-page giants from the Silver Age, talking about Superman, the Superman 80-page giants. And we're doing those in their chronological indexed order, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So we're doing that monthly. How many of those? Uh, uh, Well, it's going to get weird because there were eight that happened in the Silver Age. Then they brought them back later in the Bronze or After Age, uh, all the way up to number 11 which was late Bronze Age. So I don't know what John's planning on that. Um, We might just do the Silver Age ones and then go back and do maybe switch to the annuals because there were two different types, the 80-page giants and then the 80-page giant annuals. So we're doing the giants and then we might afterwards go back because from 1960 to 62 or 63, They did the Giants, and then 63 or 62 on, they started doing them as annuals, even though they weren't annual. They came out every six months as part of the regular numbering system. So, for example, Superman number 222 is actually an 80-page Giant annual. So, I don't know how many of those we're going to do, but right now we're going to start and just go until we run out of them, I think. Right. Uh, So, that's an index-type show. So, that's a lot of fun. Having a lot of fun with that, too. But I'm having a lot of fun with all the Superman stuff. You know, there's so much to like about this character. And it's obvious because there's, what, a dozen or more Superman shows out there? Just as part of this... Yeah, it's too many. There's a lot of us. And they're all different. Everybody's got a little different take on it, even when we cover the same material. So, because uh, I'm planning on covering some of the George Reeve shows again later this summer, and uh, I know that Mario Benesse on his Up, Up, and Away is going to yeah. cover some of them. I know that, well, a lot of us are covering them. It's just stuff that, you know, it's part of the Superman history, and it's a big part of it. I know a lot of uh, younger people came in because of Christopher Reeve or maybe some of the, the animated stuff. But people my age, and I'm glad to know that even people your age got to see these as a kid. Yeah. Because when you see these as a kid, I noticed that when I had my four-year-old niece over and, you know, she'll sit on my lap and I'll pop these in and she just won't take her eyes off the screen. She's just, she's fixated on these and uh, particularly the color ones, you know, for her, I think she, at her age, she really likes the color ones because Jimmy is so much fun and, you know, she just loves that. I think it's hard to sell a kid nowadays on the black and white ones. It's a little tough. It's a little tough. And that's too bad because if you're cutting out black and white stuff, you're cutting out Young Frankenstein. I mean, I can go down the list of great black and white films. So, but yeah, you can't get much better than these. I love it. So, but anyway, that's where you can find me. I babble a lot. So if you want to hear Bob babble about Superman, check out Superman Forever Radio. I'm there. All right. And uh, you can, you can find me on Facebook. I'm at facebook.com slash the man of screen podcast probably easier than that is to just search into your search feed that the man of screen podcast it should bring you right to the show you can feedback is always welcome man of screen at gmail.com the show is also located at the superman podcast network.com and and i even have a which i opened last month i have the show has a twitter feed you can find that at man of screencast but listen, Mike, thank you so much for inviting me to do this. This has just been a blast, and uh, I look forward for us to catching up to do some more of these because George Reeves it just doesn't get any better. So 
Thanks a bunch. You're welcome, man. Like I said, thank, thanks for coming on. So My next, pleasure. Next time, I'll be covering the first two episodes of the proper run of the series, so to speak. Superman on Earth and The Haunted Lighthouse. So, until next time, remember, you live your lives, we'll live ours. Take care, everybody. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.automatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.